0: podcast
1: has bad words you're listening to the minimalist private podcast ryan i'm so excited to go through this with you heck yeah i I just finished writing this article in fact podcast sean hasn't even proofread it yet it'll be up on the website by the time this comes out we're recording this on saturday this will be out on thursday and so this is 40 life lessons from 40 years this is our more about less segment but i think this will be A large swath of this episode we do have a bunch of questions about starting over as well Mm. and i think people often think of 40 as this giant milestone so many people have asked me since i'm turning 40 next week how are you going to celebrate what are you going to do and it's like okay i i celebrate every day and and i'm i think it's okay to to mark an occasion to celebrate i just don't like waiting personally for me i don't like waiting for something to celebrate but i do like Doing this sort of reflection, Mm. sort of peering in the rear view, not living in the rear view, but peering in the rear view and saying, what have I learned in the last year, the last decade, the last four decades of my life? Yeah. So, Ryan, this is 40 life lessons from 40 years. We'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. A decade ago this month, as I exited my 20s, I published 30 life lessons from 30 years since then, the world has changed, and so has my understanding of the way things are. Now, standing at the entryway to 40, I'm contemplating 40 truths I've learned in this lifetime. I will say this. I, I want to be clear. These are truths, but they're really approximate truths. They're, they're truths to you. Well, no, let me just say that you can't... The, so the truth is unquantifiable with words. As soon as you say something with words, you you, you can't describe the truth with words. I'll, I'll give you an example. That backdrop that's behind you if people are watching this the video version of this, it is a evergreen. It, it's actually called evergreen, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the color of sure. it. Now imagine describing that to a blind person. Right. Yeah, describing that to a blind person, you might say it's like a, a symphony of color or it is it's a it's a satiny finish, or you, however you would describe it. Mm-hmm. It would approximate it. Sure. And there'd be some sort of... There'd be an honesty to it. And there would certainly be facts within however you described it. Sure. But it wouldn't be the truth. The truth is simply the experience of the evergreen that's there.
2: So these are not
1: truths to you, but they are an approximation
2: of... Uh, yeah, help me out, Millie. So, what what are? I mean, it's an approximation
1: of the truths that you've learned. Okay, what I'm saying is that every truth, in order for us to discuss it, we have to use language. Yes, and right.
2: Yeah, and what you're saying is, is once we start to use language,
1: uh-huh. um, it's impossible to describe a truth. Right. It's just like it's impossible to describe the the taste of a huckleberry to someone who has never tasted a huckleberry. Yeah. Like yeah. You can approximate I, I'm following, it. Following yeah, you. Yeah. you can say it. it it's bitter and it's sweet and and they'd be like, well you mean like bitter like um, you know like, like this fruit and you're like no no, no it's bitter like huckleberry mm. sweet bitter and it's sweet like and is it like a blueberry well sort of mm-hmm. but it's different as well yeah and so you can give facts. And it will approximate what we're talking about here. So the, any any you start talking about the truth, all the mystics understood this, right? That that you can't really point to the truth. You can always point to what the truth isn't in a way.
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like coming at it from this perspective, I would posit that there's no such thing as a as, as a pure truth from that aspect because it is. It sounds like it's a very uh, perspect perspectival thing hmm. it sounds like it's something that i can look at something and be like oh i can and i can uh, you know emotionally connect with like this is a truth for me but trying to say it out loud is it, it according to what kind of the road we're going down here is going to ruin it it's impossible not ruin it but it's gonna it's gonna not uh be exactly as it is that i'm the way that i'm connecting with it and because that truth comes from within the really is no such thing as like there is no such thing as a true truth
1: well I don't think they come from within I think they're objective truths like that regardless of whether or not I'm here that that backdrop is the color that it is so that's the
2: truth yes the backdrop is the color that it is
1: right okay and, and so so using that as a, as a metaphor, mm-hmm. right? Now there are things that can change the color of the backdrop and we yeah. could obviously talk about that. What I'm really trying to point at here is that sometimes when we're discussing the truth, we have to discuss what isn't the truth. Mm-hmm. And so, In a lot of ways. so yeah. what, one way that I might describe that backdrop to a, a blind person is mm-hmm. I would say, you know, it, maybe it's a person who ha- had seen before. And if that was the case, i say, well, it's not white.
2: Yeah, right. But if it's a blind person, uh-huh. it would be impossible for them to experience the truth. Uh, it, it would it be, like, uh, it'd be
1: impossible for them to experience that color. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so we have... Interesting perspective. All right. We have 40 different things here that I want to cover with you today. And so we'll just go through some of these. These are these are different truths that I've learned throughout my life. A lot of them I've learned specifically within, I think, the last year or so. And so the first one is, and this is one I've known for a while, mm-hmm. letting go is not something you do. Yeah. So it is something you stop doing. You stop pretending everything is precious. You stop clinging to material possessions and toxic relationships. You stop acting like busy is a good thing. You stop uh, you stop posturing as if achievements make you you. If you let go of the thing, but not the attachment, you will get dragged. And so I think that really that last line sums it up really well. Is when people hear about minimalism, even me at first, I thought it was about letting go of the stuff Mm. and that's a piece of it but if i just let go of the stuff and not my attachment to the stuff i'm gonna get dragged by that attachment in fact Mm. i'm gonna be so much worse off you know this imagine when you did the packing party and instead of you doing the packing party Mm. i broke into your house when you were gone for a weekend and just got rid of all your stuff for you Mm. now the same result would have happened say i just got rid of the 80 percent of the stuff that you got rid of Mm -hmm. now you might feel at the the end result is the same, but you're going to feel robbed of something right. because you de- you never let go of the actual attachment to the right. thing. Yeah. So letting go beyond go letting go goes beyond letting go of the stuff. It's not something you do; it's something you stop doing. Uh, second thing I have here is decluttering doesn't work. This is probably the the oldest truth I have out of all of these. I realize this. Yeah. Early on, probably I wrote this essay, I think maybe in 2011, 2012, somewhere in there called Decluttering Doesn't Work. Mm -hmm. And basically here's the gist. If you own too much stuff, a 67 decluttering steps video won't help. The problem isn't a shortage of decluttering tips. The problem is the attachment to stuff. So if you want to simplify, understanding the benefits is much more powerful than the techniques because if you deeply understand the why the how takes care of itself Ryan no one came to you and said here's how to do a packing party it didn't even exist yeah yeah but you understood the why after you and I had a few conversations Mm -hmm. you really understood like oh there's some benefit for and you knew what the benefits would be different for you than they would for me
2: yeah for sure yeah I'm trying to yeah decluttering is not the answer to someone who is, uh, I don't know, stressed out. Like I get people emailing me and they're like, oh, I'm like, I mean, I felt so bad. Like this uh, one person reached out. They're like, you know, I'm like 18, 19 years old. I forget how old they were. Um, uh, I'm really depressed. I, I suffer from depression. Um, it's decluttering the road to happiness. Oh. And I'm like, I mean, decluttering is a, is a tool you can use to start opening the way mm-hmm. towards what's truly meaningful. Right. Um, but I agree in the sense, you know, decluttering is not, The answer, it might be a step Mm -hmm. in the right direction, but decluttering doesn't work in the sense that, yeah, once you declutter that closet, now you can like wipe your
1: hands off and go on happy.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And so, so decluttering, it actually happens as soon as you have an understanding Mm -hmm. because then you can't not declutter. As soon as you realize like, oh, this mess is actually making me miserable and you have that deep understanding Mm -hmm. because before the understanding was a misunderstanding this stuff's going to make me happy. Yeah. What a misunderstanding. So, oh, what,
2: right. So without it, then I'll... Yeah, so having it didn't make me happy. So maybe being without it is going to make me happy. Right, which right.
1: is actually uh, one of the, the upcoming points. Number six here, I'll jump around a little bit. Number sure. six is mini- minimizing isn't meaningful. Jettisoning your excess stuff can be freeing and even exciting, but it isn't inherently meaningful. True. Clearing the clutter creates the space for a more intentional life, but it's up to you to, de- to determine what to do with your newfound freedom. Mm. In fact, there's a link here. So with each of these points, there's a link where it says more, and the more link here takes you to a video where you and I are actually describing, you know, we answered a question, someone said, hey, I, I got rid of all my stuff and it didn't make me feel good. Why didn't minimizing mm-hmm. make me feel good? Yeah. It's like, well, because you thought that it would make you feel good that was the point for minimizing for you was to feel good Mm -hmm. that's a chase and any sort of chase is a type of attachment in a way Mm -hmm. and so so if you're attached to the minimizing outcome it's similar to being attached to the to to the accumulation outcome neither one of those things are going to make you happy Mm -hmm. this at least will minimizing will free up the space Mm. for then you for you to figure out okay what do i want to accomplish with this newfound freedom going back up to number three organizing is well-planned hoarding Mm. now you and i have been saying this for years but just give you an overview organizing the excess only hides the clutter Mm. no matter how quote organized you might be you were still forced to care for every possession you store in bins and boxes and basements. Ergo, the simplest way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. Amen. Preach. And so I think that early on, Cause I was so I was very organized and it was one of my biggest problems. Mm. Remember going into my basement all the the bins.
2: Yeah, the boxes. Oh yeah, we had a ping pong table down there and it was an alphabetized ping pong table. <laughs> 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 yeah, I do remember like the, the plastic bins. I remember one time. I was over and you're like, oh, I got to make a quick run to Walmart. And like, we went to Walmart and you got like five more plastic bins to huh. organize stuff in. Right. And the problem yeah, with organizing is it's really just covering up the symptom. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not getting to the root of the
1: problem. Yeah. It's covering up a symptom that will arise again. And it, so it, it seems to, it apes the form of helping. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you put like a tiger balm on some sort of pain. Yeah, it's it makes, temporary relief. Right, mm-hmm. but if there's a systemic problem, you don't want to cover it up so that you just deal with the problem. Dealing with imagine like trying to put Tiger Balm on terminal cancer. Right. That's kind of what we're doing with our stuff, hmm. and that that's a bit hyperbolic, I know. But you get the illustration at least. Sure. Is, yeah. is our stuff has become cancerous? It is metastasized to every room in our house, and our attics, and our storage lockers, our cars, our glove boxes, our offices are teeming with all this stuff. And we think the anecdote is uh, the anecdote is to organize it but a, a a professional organizer will tell you what i just said the easiest way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it yeah number four so I, you notice i started this list out with some more stuff focused things and then we get into some more sort of uh deeper profound truths cool. as we move on but number four is more stuff won't make you more complete mm. but neither will getting rid of it <laughs> And that's the that's the additional truth. Like you and I have known this since we started The Minimalists over a decade ago. But the thing to also think about is if you get rid of the stuff, that also doesn't make you complete. In fact, you were born complete. You were still complete, even in an empty room. Yeah. Well, it's, I don't know. There's like
2: this paradox of you are complete as you are. But there's also this thing of like, the human condition is for us to always feel incomplete in some way and when we have that feeling of not being complete there's no way you can buy the right thing Mm -hmm. to
1: fill that hole and i'm wondering because i agree with you we have that that void in, in virtually all of us right yeah yeah i'm wondering if that's the human condition or if it's the societal concoction yeah and because the reason i wonder that is if it is strictly a societal concoction, then we're able to... There's a way to circumvent that, right?
2: Yeah, but it also, if it is a societal thing, it just goes to show how how prone we are to feeling incomplete. Yes. It's very easy to make us feel incomplete. I mean, advertisers do this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, yeah, uh, maybe it is a societal thing, but it also speaks to how we are... Very easily manipulated into feeling like we're not enough and that we're not complete. Yes. I don't know why that is, but yeah, it, do, it does seem like a human trait to me. Because do you think like a a snail
1: feels incomplete? Never. <laughs> you think a dog feels incomplete? Well, I'm wondering, and, and that's why I asked that question of you, because if you look at pre civilized people, the Hadza, the Maasai, etc., and I've been studying them a lot recently and because I've become fascinated with, even they have been infected by society in weird ways. I was asking an expert about this because I noticed in some of the videos I was watching, you like look at some of the Maasai and they have like perfectly white teeth. They've never seen a dentist in their life, but there's another tribe, a Hadza tribe, let's say, and a bunch of them have really screwed up teeth and I'm like, oh, what's going on? So I asked a, a person who who uh, has dealt with the, the tri- those tribes before, and he said, "Well, there's two problems. One is Tanzania, where the Hadza are. They've injected a bunch of fluoride and other chemicals into the water, e- even in where they get their water. Oh wow! And so that's doing something to their teeth. But also, they use like old Bibles to smoke tobacco. They find and so, oh, wow! Yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, that has that part of society has infected even the." The closest thing to a real human being are the Hanzo. and you look at them. And it's like, okay, this is what this is humanity, mm-hmm. unaffected by society, except they are now affected. It, it's so unavoidable that even uh, the most human being, the most human human being, mm-hmm. is tainted by by society. Yeah. Have you ever looked into in India? They have that island
2: of there's like a tribe that is protected. Yeah, I've heard about it. There's only like 37
1: people left there, right?
2: Right. Yeah, I I don't know exactly how many people are there, but it's interesting because I'm thinking like maybe they are untainted, but even them, Mm -hmm. they're tainted because like the last person that tried to visit that island, it was a a Christian who was on a mission Mm -hmm. to spread, you know, the message of Jesus. Uh And he got a rowboat and he's like rowing his way and they... (laughs) they massacred him
1: so shooting arrows at him right right
2: but but because of exactly yeah and because of um because of them uh uh, or because of that man visiting what i'm trying to say is like they now have a more paranoid view so even though they're totally isolated Mm -hmm. society still affects them in some way and how they behave how they react how they live Mm -hmm. because now they have to whoa when's the next person going to come so now they're reacting to yeah to threats yeah, it's all, interesting.
1: All these sort of it's external impossible. influences. Yeah. It's impossible to get away from it. So, yes, you are born complete, and then society does a really good job through advertisers and marketers and salespeople and et cetera, et cetera. Just through everyday discourse. Mm. Society does a really good job of making you feel inadequate, incomplete, less than enough. Mm. But keep in mind, that is not true. Mm-hmm. The truth is. You are complete. Can you tell me I'm complete again? <laughs> you are complete. That feels you scary. complete you.
2: Yes. Anyone listening to this, you
1: are complete. Number five, love people and use things. <laughs> Prove it. Because the opposite never works. This isn't just the title of the minimalist new book. It is the North Star by which I navigate. And and really, we talked about this in the minimal episode, but just to rehash that, it, it you and I realize that too often it was transactional relationships in our life that were ruining our life and the love of things especially treating things as though they're like people they're precious they're special now there are there's overlap on the Venn diagram both things and people can enhance our life mm-hmm. for sure uh, but that's kind of where it ends because things are things they do enhance our lives they amplify it they augment our experience of life but our relationships are transcendent Mm -hmm. and but when we treat them as transactional it's like we've lost the plot in a way
2: yeah couldn't agree with that one more
1: number seven scrolling is the new smoking our addictions are showing look around next time you're in a checkout line Heads tilted downward, faces lost in glowing screens, technology turning people into zombies. A generation ago, nearly everyone absently puffed cigarettes throughout the day. Today, indoor smoking seems unthinkable. But it's been replaced by the captivating glow of our six-inch screens. Now, let me be clear here. The smartphone is, in some ways much more beneficial than smoking. <laughs> now, here's what I'll say to you though, is there was a time when in fact you can still see the ads now where four out of five doctors recommend Camel cigarettes over any other brand. That's I think that's where we are with technology right now. Mm. Where it's just like okay, the the eh, technology is inherently good, it's progress, mm-hmm. but we don't stop to ask what is the price of this progress. It's draining our attention. It's draining our time. It is re—it's scrambling our brains in a way. If you look at the MRIs of, of heroin addicts and compare them to the MRIs of smartphone addicts, mm. the gray matter is very similar, the way wow. that it changes. And so you realize, like, okay, maybe it's not as hyperbolic as it seems. Yeah. In fact, maybe now Technology is more pernicious than smoking because if you started smoking today, at least you would know like, hey, this is something that's going to kill me. Right. With technology, it's like, hey, this is wonderful. It's all ponies and rainbows. But we don't really realize, we're starting to. We're, it's starting to, to, to get to that point where there's a discontent that's simmering. And for some of us, it's boiling at this point Yeah. because we're always on the device, but we can't seem to put it down our addictions are showing.
2: I was thinking right now, uh, if you pulled out a cigarette versus if you pulled out your phone, it's almost like I would choose the smoking over the phone because at least with the smoking, I'll get your attention. Where with the scrolling, like there's no attention. Now, health-wise, I would much rather you, you know, for your own health. Uh And yours. Yeah, and mine. Yeah, go ahead and ignore... Uh, go ahead and ignore me. That's okay. As long as it's going to, you know, prevent you from getting lung cancer. Right. But, but you know, you know, ostensibly at first glance, I'm like, I think I'd rather someone light up a cigarette in front of me than pull up their cell phone and ignore me and look at
1: their phone. You don't want to be a victim of the secondhand scrolling. (laughs) That's good. All right. Number eight, you can't change people. A healthy relationship is one that enhances your life without trying to change the other person. Mm. Man, I, I learned part of this maybe a decade ago, maybe longer than that. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Mm-hmm. It's my friend Jamar who taught me that. Um, and I understood that in the sense that like trying to change people is futile. So it makes more sense to surround myself with people who are loving, supportive, caring, tolerant, mm-hmm. respectful, yeah. appreciative, etc. Right. But I didn't learn until the last year about the The fact that a healthy relationship is one that enhances your life without me trying to change the other person. And so any act of trying to change someone is inherently false. Mm. It, it, and so it lacks the truth in, in that respect. Mm. Now, I get it. In fact, uh, the bonus one of the bonus things I wrote down because I had forty two of these actually. So forty one was, which isn't in the essay. So this is a little bonus for Patreon only here. Um, well, this whole conversation is for Patreon only, obviously. But here's a bonus that didn't make the essay. Persuasion is unloving, mm. and yeah, persuasion is the same thing as coercion. It's just a dressed up word. Yeah. It's a nice. And our society has told us what, like, oh yeah, it's a good thing to persuade people. Mm to to influence people to persuade them to do what you uh, you want them to do
0: hmm.
1: okay uh but that's unloving. It's the same thing as coercion. We often say that coercion is not consent, but persuasion is also not consent it's the same thing it's It's trying to convince someone that they need to change from who they are. I had someone ask me about this recently on social media because I, I tweeted something about this. They said, Yeah, 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 but what about uh, you know, when I know that I'm right and, and my and, and my point of view is like gonna help them out and it's like that's the ego talking.
2: Yeah. I mean we're talking about what do you call it? The opt out clause or the exception clause? like you're always gonna find, you know, an exception to to, to a rule, basically. So if someone's a murderer <laughs> You're trying to help them not be a murderer. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, there are certain things I guess you could say you know you're right on, but what I'm thinking about really is... Yeah, we're not talking about violence. No, we're not, exactly, and that's what I'm saying. Like, outside of something like that, um, and and take that out of it, take out the the harm of other people. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, a good friend is going to support who you are as a person Mm -hmm. that enables you uh, to live a well-lived life. Not what I think a well-lived life is, but what they think a well-lived life is. Right. As, you know, again, as long as like they're not out hurting anybody, right? So, but other than that, um, that's really what a good friend does. They support their friend. They don't try and change their friend.
1: Yes. Yes, indeed. Number nine here. The thing you want is never the thing you want. We think we desire people and possessions and prominence, but what we really want, what what we really desire is the feeling that arises from those things. And so when we say we want the new smartphone or we want the new car, we want the new house, it's not the thing that we want. Mm -hmm. It's the way that we think it's going to make us feel. Now, a lot of that's a mirage. I think if I get this house, then my life will be complete. Well, we already talked about the completeness a moment ago. Mm. It's already complete. The house might augment your life in some way there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not actually the thing that you want. It's the feeling that it gives you. Unfortunately, the opposite tends to be true. When we acquire the thing, it often gives us the, the feeling that we didn't want. Now, why is that? Well, because happiness is tethered to misery. You need one for the other. In fact, we're going to cover that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. So uh, the last line in this is, if we interrogate our wants, we can locate what we truly desire. We did an episode on wanting recently with Luke Burgess. And and so you can go back and, and check that out. We talked about mimetic desire mm. and how the thing you want isn't the thing you want. Yeah, that
2: was a great conversation.
1: Number 10, advertisements are poison. They disturb the peace. They make us feel inadequate. They encourage overconsumption. They indoctrinate our kids. They promote outrage. They sway elections. They fuel fake news. They lack sincerity. They Ooh. persuade people to go into debt to buy things they don't need. That's,
2: you know, I just had this, and I think you've talked about this before, but I just have emotionally been able to connect to this because often, you know, a troll on Twitter or YouTube, you guys, you say advertisements suck, but all you do is advertise your books and your podcasts and all that stuff. And I'm like, I mean, I get what they're saying, but we're not persuading anyone. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to coerce anyone. Mm We are communicating, and that's what you talk about. There are, you know, advertisement versus communication. Yes. Uh, advertisement is there to persuade, it's to make you feel a certain way to buy a certain product. Mm-hmm. Where what I feel like, yeah, I just feel like what we do is more of a communication like, hey, this is available. It's not a coercion. Mm-hmm. You must do this if you don't buy our book. But it is true if you don't buy our
1: book. Love people, use things, you'll never be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, if the person is saying that, I don't. It's hard for me to even. I, I don't respond to someone like that no, because. Of course not. He, here's here's the thing. If if you don't understand the difference between an advertisement and a promotion, you're lost. And 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 and, and that's I. It's okay. Yeah, I, yeah. There, there's, there's not a whole lot I can do. I don't need to explain myself. We don't need to persuade someone to see it our way. Yeah, and I, I don't hope to convince you of anything either, right. right? And so I know for me the difference between working three years on a book and proudly promoting that book mm-hmm. so that people are aware of it, Yeah, that's appreciably different than if I were to come on here and say, this episode is brought to you by Mountain Dew Baja Blast. Mm. It,
2: it's... It, can we take a
1: Mountain Dew Baja Blast break? <laughs> <laughs> the lightning round is brought to you by <laughs> Tostitos. <laughs> uh, bagel Bites. Uh, yeah, so here's here's the thing. It does all kinds of things, but we, the thing we talk about with cancel culture and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. it's really just advertiser culture. Mm-hmm. It's... Being beholden to corporations means you can't say the things you want to say for fear of being canceled or just fear of ridicule or whatever. But Ryan and I can say whatever we want to say because we're not beholden to anyone other than our patrons. But even then, if you decide you wanna opt out, I understand, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna convince you to stay, right? (laughs) I'm grateful that you're here for whatever period of time that you're here and we appreciate you yes and at the same time i don't need anyone and i want to be clear because if i need you then all of a sudden i'm going to start placating you and that's not what you want anyway you want us to be able to speak the truth you want us to point out the untruths, the inherent falseness of things Mm -hmm. in order for us to do that we can't be beholden to anyone not even you because if I'm beholden to you and I'm worried about what you're going to say, well, now I'm, I'm sort of circumventing the, the truth. Ah, just a little bit. I'm going to compromise here. I'm going to compromise there. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I've moved so far away from the truth that I'm delivering a bunch of nonsense. Mm-hmm. So advertisements are poison. Yeah. Uh, even the best advertisements are a little bit of poison. Sure. So, so uh, a- anyone who does an advertisement, even if it's congruent, y- and by the way, I don't want you to. St- okay, wh- what's he saying? It- the problem with me saying advertisements are poison. People here at home are listening to this and they're saying they're here. They're hearing me say advertisements are bad. That's not what I said. This is not a moral stance. uh The water that we drink has a little bit of poison in it.
2: Mm. Yeah, interesting. Uh
1: yeah. Is poison ever a good thing, though? I didn't say it was good either. See, that that's that, that's the problem is people hear this and they say, oh, well, he's saying it's not good. He's saying it's bad. I'm not saying any of those things. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that it is a type of poison. Hmm. It infects, it's toxic, and it affects whatever we are consuming. Mm-hmm. And so by putting a little bit of poison in your drink you i mean our water is filtered water and i would bet you there's still some trace amount of poison in this filtered mountain valley water right a little in there right before i hand you that glass of water (laughs) well thank you (laughs) but especially you go to your tap right now it's clear water it it tastes like water there's so much arsenic and maybe depending on where you live uranium lead etc cadmium yeah yeah, all the stuff fluoride all these things that are in your water and i'm not saying that that is bad what i'm simply saying is that it is toxic and at high levels that will kill you over a prolonged period of time and we're not saying you being killed is bad well death isn't bad right (laughs) are are we saying death is
2: bad no 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 what i'm uh, no it's just it's it's hard to i'm just speaking to how it's hard to separate a value judgment
1: we're so conditioned, right? Sure. So as soon as I say something is poison, people will say, how could you say advertisements are bad? Well, I, I'm not saying that. It's not a moral stance. Advertisements are tacky, advertising, advertisements are toxic. And uh, even though you put the most avant-garde, beautiful, and ads can be truly beautiful, most of them are. Mm. You know, the guy who helps out with lighting does advertising uh, to pay his bills, right? Yeah. Uh, does lighting for advertisements, right? Mm-hmm. And he's he's awesome. I mean, he's a savant of lighting, right? And he recognizes that. Oh, if 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 you put you can make this truly beautiful. What does that do? It compels people to it persuades them yeah. to buy your product or service. What I'm saying when I talk about advertisements being poison is simple: is that when we put a little bit of poison into the art, it ruins the thing that we're trying to communicate, that we're trying to convey. Imagine if you went to LACMA and saw a Picasso painting, but like it had an ad like right in the middle of it. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: It would be ruined by that. Mm -hmm. And so I think many aspects of our lives are ruined and it's especially pernicious because We've just accepted it as a normal part of content delivery. Mm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying advertisements are poison. It's not good or bad, but advertisements ruin things.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. they do. All right. Number 11, you cannot fix anything. All right. Let's talk about this. <laughs> Tell that to my car mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so let's talk about... So when we talk about fix, what we're really talking about is something becoming...
2: Fixed. Yeah, we're not talking mechanically.
1: Well, right, even even then, so let's talk about that. So, okay. Uh, as soon as something is, quote, fixed, the world will change, and it will become unfixed, exposing mm. the truth. It was never fixed in the first place. If you have a problem, it is useless to try to fix it. You must understand the problem if you seek to eliminate it. So, it really the way to eliminate a sort of mechanical problem with your car is to never drive the car again so yeah you're right that's not what we're talking about here Mm -hmm. uh but your brakes if you're going to get your brakes fixed Sure. eventually they'll become unfixed is right. really the point. Yeah. And, and so I think, unfortunately, what, what we do is we have fundamental problems in our lives that are created by society or by our own expectations, by our culture around us, by our religion, by our peers, by ourselves, by our unnecessary standards. And we recognize the problem as a problem, and we think the way to solve it is through... A
0: solution.
1: Mm. You know, when I say the solution is the problem, right? Well, uh, that's actually number 18 here. I'll, I'll skip ahead real quick because this is a way to expand on this. Most people want solutions because they're unwilling to dig down to the root of the problem. What if, instead of numbing the pain, you sidestep the solutions and scrutinize the problem itself? If your desk chair is aflame, reading the fire safety manual won't save you. The problem isn't a lack of instructions. The problem is your posterior is on fire. And so I think what this illustrates here is we often look for a solution because we are uninterested in actually eradicating the problem. Yeah. Because in, in a weird way, sometimes we value the problems that we have. That well,
2: it's, it's, a, it's a constant, right? It's something we know what to expect. It's like people who I know who are addicted to drama – if they didn't have any drama, th- they would have nothing to talk about. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it's it's very easy to get hooked on the problem.
1: Right. And, in, in, in fact, one of these things I talk in here about, about misery uh, coming up soon. Uh, let me see if I can find that real quick because mm. I think that will, will help us with uh, what we're talking about here. So,
2: well, while you're looking that up, let me, let me just approach it, it. Um, because it's, like, again, from a mechanical standpoint, sometimes a solutions a solution but uh, so we use the being on uh, your chair being uh, being on being sitting in a chair that's on fire yes we use that um, what about let's say uh, to prepare for that situation mm-hmm. you have you read that fire safety manual mm-hmm. so when that arises you know the solution right away mm-hmm. but of course yeah sitting there and reading it isn't going to do anything but maybe there is some information that could help you get out of uh, the stop, drop, and roll thing, for example, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious. What do you think about? What do you think about that?
1: I, I think that the fire safety manual, in this instance, no matter whether you read it before or after, is is functionally useless hmm. because if your chair is on fire, you're going to know what to do immediately. Yeah, of course. And 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 so the same thing is true if you see a snake that's crawling on the ground right now. Now you might do something different from me. Sure. you may react in a way that's different yeah. for you you might go step on its head right. right I might like jump on top of the table right either one of us it, we're not right or wrong for doing what, what we do yeah. but we're going to instinctually eradicate the problem as mm-hmm. opposed to looking for the solution to the problem so
2: for me like the best example of what you're trying to communicate and again everyone these are just all so far we've talked about 13 approximate truths uh-huh. they're not the truth. Uh, but what I think about is... Oh, I don't agree with that. I think they are the truth, but... Uh, okay, we can talk about that in a yeah. second. Um, but what what I think about the best... Uh, or the the, the the common scenario that I see is someone who is in debt and they're trying to get out of debt. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they buy this person's recipe on how to get out of debt. Sure. Then they buy this class to get out of debt. Then they buy... That didn't work. So then they buy another book to get out of debt. And in a certain point and I remember telling someone this
0: mm-hmm.
2: how you can't buy your way out of debt it's impossible to buy your way out of debt yes but we constantly will look for the solution because it feels like we're doing something yes when really it's the you know the actual getting out of debt is what gets you out of debt all right so t- so t- tell me the difference between this is the truth but this is the approximate truth
1: yeah so what i'm saying here is you uh, the, when we're talking about the truth, we have to approximate it with language, right? Okay. And so, in order for us to talk on a podcast, we have to use language. We're, we're bumping up against the limitations of the English language or any language in, in, in general, right? Okay. And so, yes, we, we are talking about the truth.
2: But it's an approximate. Yes. It's not the truth. It's the approximate truth.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. Right. Yeah, we're on the same page there. Great. Okay. So, So, let's move on to number 12. Unconditional love is an oxymoron. To love is to see things as they are, not as we wish they would be. To place conditions on love is to remove love altogether. You know, it's if I, if you just uh, were to mow the lawn more frequently, Ryan, I would love you more. Well, that's mis- a misunderstanding of love.
2: Yeah, that's a silly
1: example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but there are people who behave like that oh, all yeah. the time, right? Yeah. In, in especially in intimate relationships. Mm. If you would just do this, then I would love you. Mm. Or, yeah, I love them, but I want to change them so that they will be like this. That's the, no, it's the John Marilyn. Do you love me or the thought of me, right? Mm. And it's like, it's often people, quote, fall in love with this idealized version of someone who they then spend months or years trying to mold into that, shape that person into that. If they're trying to change you, then they don't truly love you. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. So unconditional love is an oxymoron. Uh, all, I, I'm, oh, shit. Well, I meant to say conditional love is an oxymoron. Yeah, I was, I was wow, kind of trying to piece you. it together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct me on that. <laughs> oh, well, there's a, a typo here, podcast, Sean. Uh, yeah, so conditional love is an oxymoron. Unconditional love is the only kind of love. So uh, maybe another way to rephrase that then is unconditional love is redundant.
2: Yes. Because
1: right.
2: love is unconditional. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting because, oh, man. Again, just going to like... Uh, well, no, because even then, like, let's say Mariah was cheating on me left and right. Mm-hmm. There's a condition for us to stay together, but I would
1: still love her. You know, I mean, you, I you would love her regardless, right? And so you you may not like her anymore, right? And and so and I think unfortunately that's what we do is we often mistake love with extreme like mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about it next week with uh with bex during my, my birthday podcast but yeah that's not love love is simply seeing things as they are not as we wish they would be mm-hmm. number 13 the path to peace is uncovered with subtraction peace cannot be packaged and purchased it is buried beneath the hoard we've added to our lives yes some objects may enhance our lives but only after we subtract the attachment that gets in the way. So the peace thing, unfortunately, is something we try to... We make it a goal. Mm-hmm. It's like enlightenment. If enlightenment is your goal, you'll never become enlightened, right? Mm. If happiness is your goal, you'll never become happy. Mm. You'll you'll get bits of of pleasure, and you'll mistake that for happiness or, or whatever. Again, this is the limitations of language. We're, we're bumping up against... But, but the lasting contentment, joy, tranquility, peace, freedom, mm. love, these things can't be purchased. Mm. They can simply be uncovered. They're, they already exist. You, you see them in, in our kids all the time. When you look at you know, a four-year-old kid who is just full of joy and happiness, contentment, peace, whatever it might be in that moment. And you see that in the kid, and it wasn't because they they acquired peace.
2: There it, there wasn't anything blocking it. Right.
3: Yeah. That's
1: a great way to put it. I'm with you. Number fourteen, success does not exist. We talked about this with Jeanette McCurdy on the the void episode that we did with her. Running after a result isn't success, it's chasing. Chasing the past or the future. Success is always bound to chasing. Chasing is an attachment. Attachment is suffering. Suffering is failure. And so, Hmm. if you do the math there, success is always failure. Now, when I say success, I'm talking about what, you know, if you redefine success to mean, oh, I'm just blissful in the moment, okay, that's a different thing. What society means by success is, is a metric is achieving now you get to define what that metric is but it doesn't matter what you define the metric it's a million dollars it's a billion dollars it's a thousand dollars it's one dollar that is a chase it's chasing the past so we're trying to reacquire what happened in the past a feeling that you had in the past or it's chasing the future yeah and that chase is a a type of attachment attachment is suffering suffering is failure
2: yeah that that last part is the Part that I'm having trouble connecting with 100% is the suffering is failure. Um, taking the value judgment out of it, um, I mean failure. I th- I mean again, like failure, it's failure, right? Yes. But it's not always necessarily bad.
1: Oh, it's 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 rarely bad,
2: right? Yeah, and the same thing or with maybe it's never
1: bad. I yeah, don't know.
2: sometimes suffering. You you learn from suffering. Uh huh. So in a way. It could be a success if you're learning a lesson from it. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. It's it's interesting because we often talk about, because we go down this line that eventually goes to suffering is failure. Yes. And um, yeah, I just, I'm having a hard time, like just bonding with that a hundred percent. I get it. Right. Um, so, so let's
1: talk about, let's talk about it then. Let, sure. So when I say success doesn't exist, or I say success is failure mm-hmm. you, as you acutely, or astutely pointed out, it's not saying success is bad. Right. What I'm saying is society has identified that success is metric-based. Mm. Now, for some people that is buying the Mercedes-Benz, mm-hmm. that is success. Sure. Someone else, it's the McMansion and the suburbs, that is success. Mm-hmm. And so it is still perspectival, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, although, if I were to ask, if I go, do man on the street interviews and say what is a successful person you're probably going to get 80 percent of the people will approximate what the successful person looks like they have a lot of money they have a nice car Mm -hmm. they have a nice house they have nice clothes and and they have other sort of accoutrements that that Correspond with that. Mm. They have a good job, right? Mm. They have some certain achievements. They've won an award in some capacity. Mm. That's what the average person on the street is going to identify as a successful person. Would Mm. you agree with that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and that is there because of the what society
1: has put into our heads about what success is. Now, why has society said that is success? Well, because we think that if we get success, whatever we identify success as, that's going to make us happy. Mm. And so does that work? Mm -hmm. Does success make us happy? Well, no, it doesn't. It brings us pleasure. It brings us maybe a momentary blip of happiness, but it doesn't give you the lasting thing that you're looking for, the permanence Mm -hmm. of success. And so we think that we, we achieve the milestone it's going to make us happy but it's actually going to do the opposite it's going to make us miserable well why is it going to make us miserable because we're going to suffer why are we going to suffer because we're going to be attached to an outcome why are we attached to an outcome because we're chasing something mm. and so it just becomes this this uh, this line of suffering mm. that as we continue to go down that path we success begins to unravel for us especially as soon as you've had some success in life yeah you realize like yeah you know, th- th- there's an old saying like oh it's not all it's cracked up to be yeah well that's a platitude for a reason for sure
2: well it's a, yeah i don't know man it makes me what don't you know it makes me think of well first off i have this something in my head right now successful successful f-o-o-l yes or successful, like full of success, F U L L. And when I think about that latter uh, f- way of phrasing it, uh-huh. I feel like like I actually do f- feel filled with success. Yes, but it's not because of how many likes I got on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's not because of what I have in my bank account. Sure, it's because I go out of my way to do things that align with my values. Mm-hmm. And for me, like that feels, um, it feels like I'm, I don't know, it feels like I am successful full yes. in a way, you know? Yeah,
1: and it's because you've re- redefined what success is. Mm. And is it possible to do that? Yes. Now, mm-hmm. here's, here's a weird paradox for you. Mm. You feel successful, mm-hmm. but a lot of people in society would say you're successful, mm. but they'd say it for a completely different reason. Yeah, and some people would look at me and say I wasn't successful.
2: Because you don't have enough money, or right. you
1: don't have enough cars, or right. you don't have enough followers, or whatever. So there are certain people who have said, "Yes, success is a hundred thousand followers on this social media platform." Right. And so Ryan is there is therefore successful. That's not what you're talking about when you talk about success. Right. And so it's it's us now trying to describe this green paper again to the blind person. Yeah. And, and I start talking about it in. Sounds and I say, well, it's really a soothing. It's like a soothing symphony, mm. and, and and then you come in and you say, uh, uh, well, yeah, you know, it's uh, it is like uh, so some sort of texture. It's like a velvet, and you're describing it, and now all of a sudden we're arguing over whether it's a symphony or it's velvet. Mm. And we're totally missing the point, right? Yeah, but we're both right. Yeah, or, <laughs> yeah, we're both we're, we're, both, we're both wrong. <laughs> yeah, we're both uh, we're both. Um, and all of a sudden, let's say that person's eyesight is restored, mm. and they come in and they're like, "This isn't what they were talking about at all." Yeah, like it kind of is, but we were. Then I heard them fighting over it, the fact, and it's like, "Oh, it's because." we couldn't describe what the actual truth was. So the same thing is true with success. Sure. Uh, society has said it is metric based. Right. And that turns it into a chase. If we turn something into a chase, suffering is guaranteed to appear.
2: Yeah. Um, it's almost like, in a way like once you stop chasing success you become successful mm,
0: yeah
1: you know what i'm saying yeah, it becomes its own success yeah right. a redefined success yeah so number 15 we were talking about misery a moment ago number 15 is your happiness is moderated by your expectations Ooh, absolutely yeah. nothing and no one can make you happy but your expectations will certainly increase your misery
2: 100 percent.
1: yeah it's so hard to grasp because, I mean, for the longest time, I thought stuff was going to make me happy because we didn't grow up with much stuff. And then when we got the stuff, it was like, well, I guess I got the wrong stuff, so I need mm-hmm. the right stuff to make me happy. Right. And then it was like, okay, well, getting rid of the stuff is going to make me happy. Oh, that doesn't work either. Oh, that made the room. Okay. It made me less miserable in a way. Oh, so I'm not actually trying to be happy. All I'm really doing is running away from misery. But let's be honest. Misery isn't bad either. It's, it's that's the other problem that we have here. As soon as I say misery, people at home listening to this on their treadmills or in their cars or yeah. walking the dog, they hear misery and they think bad.
2: Yeah, it's hard to not associate misery with with nothing. It's hard, even the word failure. It's hard to associate the word failure without a value judgment. Right. Yeah. It, it, it is. It. And I will tell you, like, it is helpful with all of these things to like take the value judgment out of it regardless whether you think it is good or bad, like it gives you a new perspective on, on what
1: misery is, for example. Right. And by the way, if misery was bad, it can't be bad. Here's why. Everyone seems to be chasing misery. <laughs> people go out. It Doesn't it seem like when you step back and you look at the world, I mean, especially look at the dysfunctional sort of neighborhoods that you and I grew up in, mm. it's almost like people are just seeking out and are addicted to misery.
2: Yeah, in a way, I could see that. And I
1: think you and I were the same way. We had a more erudite version of misery because uh, we had a corporatized misery in our 20s, where it was, oh, I'm more cultured, and so my misery is better than your misery okay whatever like is that a story that makes me feel better in the moment yeah but it's also a story that actually brings me more misery as well and so i think the additional lesson from number 15 here is your happiness is moderated by your expectations is happiness is always tethered the good is always tethered to the bad and we'll talk about that in a later lesson here as well let's move on we talked about attachment a moment ago but number 16 is attachment is not love Mm. Every attachment, even a so-called healthy one, is a tether that restricts your freedom, a governor that constricts your ability to love. Another value yeah. judgment. That all sounds bad, right? Mm. That's only bad because of our conditioning. Mm. We've been conditioned to say you're supposed to love or freedom is a good thing. Mm. Well, that's it's not good or bad. It's free. Um, it's freeing. And so attachment is not good or bad, but it is restricting. It restricts freedoms. It constricts your ability to love. You've been told by pop music and poetry that to need someone is to love them. But that was a lie. That is not love. It is clinging. Now, I'm not saying don't be attached. Most people have attachment styles, right? And so identifying how you attach to people Mm -hmm. might help you better understand your attachment to others or to things.
2: Yeah. Yeah, It's a lot of attachments. You can't even help. It's like, they just are, uh, attachment to my parents. I'm attached to the idea of like, man, I really wish I had a good relationship with both of my, I, I should Mm -hmm. have a good relationship with my parents. And it's like something intellectually. Mm -hmm. I understand like, no, Nicodemus buddy, like you are complete in an empty room. Yes. And it would be great if you had some awesome relationships with your parents, mm-hmm. but you don't. So intellectually, I get that, but emotionally, um, there's like an attachment there that uh, I, I have yet to figure out how to let go of.
1: Right. And and so the and even that attachment is a conditioning. Now it's been conditioned in you from a very very young age. Yeah. But here's what I'll say: there are there are some tribes, some pre-civilized people. Mm-hmm who raise children as a commune, right? Yeah, and so there right. is not a mother and father. There's not a nuclear family. Mm-hmm. There is simply a group of human beings who raise the child. Yeah. And in that scenario, the attachment is going to be different for that child. If you, if you Ryan Nicodemus, grew mm-hmm. up in that scenario, yeah. then your attachment style, let's call mm-hmm. it, would be different from your current attachment style.
2: Yeah, or look at it the other way. Like the attachment that a mother has for a child, or the attachment that that tribe has for a child. Like there is something emotional, and it's it's survival I'm assuming, like that's why we've evolved to be so attached. Um, but, but there is an attachment that, again, intellectually we can look at and explain away, mm-hmm. but there is like an emotional attachment that uh, we just really need to examine sometimes mm-hmm. and really ask ourselves like, where does that emotional attachment come from? This is not right or wrong. Mm-hmm.
1: It just is. Right. And so I think when we hear about attachment, we think about... In fact, that's why I even said so-called healthy attachments, right? I didn't say healthy. And, that's, that, should, that becomes another way to say good and bad mm-hmm. sometimes. Well, yeah, what about healthy attachments? Yeah. I've had... In fact, there's a link to an essay in here where someone asked me about that where I... I someone said, well, you know, what about... Because I was saying attachment is suffering. And I like, mm-hmm. well, what about our healthy attachments? And it's like, well, no, all... Attachment is suffering. That isn't a bad thing, and that's where we, our minds start to melt. We're like, yeah. "What do you mean that's not bad?" In fact, here's one. Yeah, no. Someone's saying, "But I'm
2: attached to my kids, and I like being attached to my kids. Great."
1: Yeah, very well. Like, yeah, I'm yeah, not like telling you not to right. be attached.
2: No, not at all. It's it's there, just. There's no instruction just, here. Yeah, it's literally attachment is suffering. Uh uh-huh. a statement that it just is. it Doesn't mean it's good or bad. Yes. It's just that if you were attached to something, you are putting your well-being on the line and again there are some attachments me personally like i emotionally don't know how to let go of intellectually i understand i'll be okay mm-hmm. but emotionally like it's still very um difficult for me to just be like oh you know what screw that attachment yeah it's not it's not like flipping on and off a light switch
1: and part of that is because we hear Attachment, we hear, then we hear suffering, we hear misery, we hear whatever, and we say, we think bad, and then we think, well, then I guess what I'm supposed to do is drop the attachment. Mm. Well, okay, Um, there is no supposed to here. Right. And holding on to something is a choice. As we said earlier, letting go of something is not something you do. So it's not dropping it in the sense that, that, you actively drop it, Mm. it's understanding. If you picked up your piece of uh, luggage, Ryan, Mm -hmm. and you're carrying it, but then you realized it was a snake in your hand. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't grab the luggage handle. I grabbed the snake. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't need... Find a dime. (laughs) (laughs) No,
2: I wouldn't need to think about it. You just let it go. and and,
1: and In fact, there there wouldn't be any instruction necessary, right? It would just be, all right, boom. I'm i've i've realized what holding on to this is doing to me mm. and so as soon as you realize that mm. th- there's no option to even keep holding on to the snake unless you are a mentally ill person yes. although we're all mentally ill i think oh, that's yeah. that that's actually somewhere else in this uh mm-hmm. in this list let me move on real quick to <laughs> num- so the real lesson here is don't hold on to snakes <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah and likely you couldn't and right. i think that's the point like the, the letting go of the snake mm-hmm. is not something i have to tell you to do
2: no sure you're right in that snake's scenario you're absolutely right there's Uh-oh. no attachment yeah
1: so number 42 so this is uh one of the bonus ones here and this one is the, probably the most difficult it's the reason i didn't include it in this list because i think it, people's heads will fall off and roll down corridors if they read this so save this one for the patrons here Every relationship will bring you misery, especially the people closest to you. <laughs> Woo! Now, that is just a truth. Now, every relationship in your life will bring you misery. Now, I would even go farther and 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 say they will likely bring you far more misery than not now that's not always going to be the case but every relationship in your life will certainly bring misery to you at some point
2: i think if you can say that as a truth or an approximate truth you could also say the opposite
1: oh without a doubt yeah yeah but we already know that Mm. everyone knows that they other people make them happy Mm. from time to time Mm -hmm. and so I don't need to state that truth Mm. it's just like when we talk about empathy which we're going to in a little bit here Mm -hmm. we're really talking about being with people during uh, feeling someone else's pain sure we're not ever really talking about compersion when we're talking about empathy like like if someone wins lebron james wins the nba finals we're like yeah man you really gotta have empathy for that guy Mm -hmm. no no one says that we're talking about suffering
2: yeah but you know what we actually do have empathy for LeBron, especially for a big LeBron James fan. Yes. We're like in the celebration with him. Right. We so are. That, yeah. So that's interesting. Like that emp- is empathy. Yeah. But
1: when, when we're, we're when we're, uh, espousing the virtues of empathy, mm. which we're going to talk about why that's nonsense in a moment. But, um, what, what we're really doing there is we're talking about suffering. We're not talking about, oh yeah, yeah. It's really important to have empathy for, the basketball team that won the championship and so the same thing is true with our relationships every relationship in your life will bring you misery Mm. and i know that's hard to hear Mm. but just understanding that truth what does that what does that help me do Hmm. it helps me choose those relationships very carefully yeah choose carefully who's going to make you miserable (laughs) all right so uh let's see where did we leave off here ryan number 16 was attachment is not love we we covered that um and and so that's a lie that you need other people Mm -hmm. and so you can enjoy other people without needing them in fact real love is unencumbered by the need of others it is simply experiencing things for how they are in the moment Hmm. all advice is flawed advice is number Mm -hmm. 17 so this was, even this piece of advice, <laughs> this is not advice. <laughs> I assure you, the moment you try to convince someone you have lost the plot. And by the way, this is the one I struggle with the most because of you know, self-righteousness. Right. And, and I wrote that essay recently mm-hmm. about self-righteousness, mm-hmm. off the rack self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. And, and really, it was an outfit I wore for nearly four decades. You're trying to convince people of my singularly right point of view. The moment you try to convince someone you have lost the plot. Here we go. The truth does not require persuasion, coaxing, or coercion. It is the truth whether you're convinced or not. If Sean comes in here and he starts saying, "Guys, that backdrop is yellow." Okay, like I'm you could try to convince me all you want, mm. and maybe you hold a gun to my head and and threaten my family and I will say, "Yes, you're right, it's yellow." Mm. But am I really convinced? Mm. Of course not. It, it, because the truth is that it's not yellow. Hmm. The truth is that the 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 um, huckleberries do not taste like roast beef. Mm. If Jordan comes in here and says, "Well, yes, they do," and I'm going to prove it to you, I have a ten-step chart that shows you why they taste like roast beef. It doesn't matter. That's not the truth. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the problem is we're looking for the
2: perfect piece of advice,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you know, I could come to you and say, "Hey, Josh." you know, here's my situation. What would you do? Sure. And you could speak from your own perspective. If I was in your shoes, Ryan, here's what I would do. Yes. And then I could look at that and be like, Oh, does that sound like something uh, that could benefit me? Or does it sound like something that isn't going to benefit me? Like uh, that whole conversation, that whole back and forth is all based on perspective. Yeah. So what's good for you may not be, good for me mm-hmm. and vice versa and that's what we have to consider whenever we're looking at you know advice mm-hmm. we have to ask ourselves
1: like is this something that's good for us great but is it something that everyone should do probably not right and that's why i think observations tend to work so much better than advice because it is stating things how they are and if you get something from that that's wonderful if you don't get something from it that's okay as well Mm -hmm. and so stating things for how they are and an observation about reality about my own reality and that can even be something as banal as as how i declutter my closet okay Mm -hmm. i'll show you how i declutter my it's simply an observation Mm -hmm. here's what's worked for me Mm -hmm. but as soon as i try to convince you that this is what you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. that's when i've lost the plot yeah i've turned something useful into a prescription
2: yeah even if i'm asking you to convince me of something like there's something there that i would need to look at like Uh why am i trying to be convinced right now right yeah because that i mean looking at that might help me get closer to the root problem and get to the truth Mm -hmm. instead of just being like oh well here's what josh wants me to do so here's what i'm gonna do
1: yeah in many cases where if you feel like you need to be convinced of something Mm -hmm. it's because you don't want to be responsible if it doesn't See, but Josh told me to declutter my closet like this, and that's why it didn't work blame out. Blame
2: me for all my problems, <laughs> especially my cluttered closet.
1: All right, <laughs> we have uh, number eighteen here. The solution is the problem. We already talked about that one. So moving on to number nineteen. Speaking of righteousness, righteousness fuels the ego. And now you hear this, and you hear bad thing again, right? Oh, the ego bad. And uh, no, that's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. We all have an ego. We're human beings. Uh, And and so there is an ego involved in everything that we do, the decisions that we make. And if you want to fuel your ego. Uh Then be (laughs) self-righteous. Right. (laughs) Our culture has moralized everything from clothing and consumption to relationships and routines, but correct and incorrect are personal, situational, perspectival, and they're detrimental as universal proscriptions. So a proscription is just a prohibiting... It's like a prescription that prohibits something right you were not supposed to do anything anyone who tells you otherwise any human being who seeks to change another displays the ugly hubris of the ego and so yes i think hubris is ugly but even ugliness isn't a bad thing thank god i'm on camera right now (laughs) whatever Evan just made you 63% more handsome with his lighting
2: skills. Yeah, the, the lighting here.
1: In <laughs> fact, next week, we already recorded next week's episode before this one, so our, our lighting is going to actually go back. And This is exactly why I wanted to record these in order because I knew we'd be making some changes. Um, and, and so, yeah, we are we have uh, some new lighting in here now. It's going to be worse next week. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, Jordan, you might want to move the camera. I just decided to stand up a second ago. All right, let's see what we have here. Number 20, love is... More. In our culture, we stretch love to apply to people and pickup trucks, friends and fried chicken, lovers and Louis Vuitton bags. But when you extend anything beyond its natural limits, it loses its strength. This is especially true with love. I talked about this earlier, so I won't belabor the point, but when we talk about love, most of the time what we're really talking about is extreme-like. Mm. So when I say I love that burrito, I really like the burrito is what mm-hmm. we're saying. yeah, and, and and so that's fine. We use it colloquially. That's colloquial love. Sure. But real love is simply seeing things for how they are. But it, it, well, You and I, and, and love people use things, talk about the, the whole tennis analogy. Mm. It's a score of zero. Love does not keep score. Yeah, it's interesting because if you say... I love the burrito, right? Like we understand that means
2: extreme like, but I, I could see. In fact, I saw someone like write an essay about. Well, you know, you could you could love the feeling that uh, that that the burrito gives you. Um, I forget what exactly they were using as an analogy, but just sticking with the burrito, it's like even then, mm-hmm. you're not in love with the feeling. No. Like you, you're very much enjoying the feeling. Yeah, you're very much. Um,
1: uh, feeling satiated, feeling satisfied. You're in like with that feeling for That's sure. Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. You're in extreme like with the feeling. And unfortunately, right. we're also in extreme like with people. It's great to like people. I like liking people. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful feeling. Unfortunately, for many years, until very recently, I mistook that Mm. feeling of like for love Mm -hmm. and we mistake lust for love as well right easy to do you know earlier you were joking to me we were uh setting up the lighting and stuff and i and they had me like just look at you and and start talking and i was looking in your eyes and you're like don't fall in love john (laughs) and and the truth is that's not there's no such thing as falling in love there's falling in lust Mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about yeah Yeah. it's lust at first sight (laughs) Ooh. yeah and that's yeah. Um, I'm going to get some water. Yeah, grab some water. I'm going to keep talking here. Can you get Jordan? He apparently didn't listen to me when I asked yeah. him. All right. So um, let's see here. Number 21, habit change won't change your habits. Human beings are infatuated with habit change, but lasting change doesn't work like that. I'm going to stand up a bit, Jordan. You didn't hear me the first time. So uh, here we go. I was trying to compensate by by uh, doing the splits a little bit. Lasting change doesn't work like that. Stated plainly, changing your life won't change your life, but understanding will. The moment you recognize the source of your troubles and awareness flows through every fiber of your being and habits change without volition. For once you see the problem in its entirety, you will have no choice but to change. Mm. Now quote, unquote, habit change experts understand this. James Clear, who's been on our podcast before, he clearly understands this. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we are smitten by techniques and and methods, and Mm -hmm. and those things can work really well to fix your brakes on your car or to Mm -hmm. fix your bike or whatever, to learn how to dribble a basketball. It's a technique. Mm -hmm. But but beyond that, we're talking about really improving a habit. Mm -hmm. It's not about habit change. We've all tried to change our habits like we've gotten really serious about this habit change Mm. there's a reason it when it it doesn't work when it almost never works and the reason it almost never works is because we don't take the time to actually understand the problem Hmm. and if we understand the problem then our habits sort of change on their own so when i say habit change won't change your habits what i really mean is that the understanding of why you want to change your habits is what's going to change those habits. But (laughs) simply getting really excited about some new habit change, it's probably going to make you miserable because it's going to set yourself up for failure.
2: Yeah. What, what changes your habits is focusing on the solution that changes your habit or focusing on the problem, which, which inspires you or motivates you to, uh, to, to go after the solution. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about, like, let's say I want to quit eating sugar. Mm-hmm. It's a bad habit to eat sugar.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, just thinking I'm going to stop eating sugar isn't as valuable as, like, oh, no, the solution
1: is to stop eating it so I can stop craving it. Yeah, and you can you can make that habit change today. Sure. But it's not going to stick unless you actually understand why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. You'll be excited about it, and you might have some sort of – 15-day streak going, but eventually that terumasu comes out. Mm-hmm. If it but if you have a deep understanding, like we we went to dinner the a uh, few weeks ago. We were in Nashville. And we went out to dinner with our friend Adam, mm-hmm. and. The, the creme brulee or whatever you guys ordered for dessert oh
2: my god i loved it <laughs>
1: <laughs> now i i would really enjoy the taste of that yeah but i know i can't eat it with this autoimmune disease that i have right. and it would cause extreme misery and so mm. i didn't have a habit change there it mm. wasn't about i've changed my habits and that's why i'm not eating this no i understand the consequences of what happens when i eat this yeah it is detrimental to me Number 22, empathy is overrated. We hear everyone from preachers to pundits proclaim the power of empathy, but most of these people are actually talking about compassion. If that's the case, I have no argument. Compassion, that is concern for the misfortunes of others, is useful, and we could use more of it. Empathy, however, that is the ability to feel the suffering of others, is not a desirable outcome. And so I'm not saying that we don't have empathy. I'm not saying that you should get rid of empathy. Right. I want to be clear about that. Yeah. I'm also not saying empathy is a bad thing. No, what you're saying is just because you
2: are an empath or you're an empathetic person, it doesn't make you virtuous. That's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Uh, number 23, we are all hypocrites. The Amen. man, The man who protests capitalism using a megaphone he purchased from Walmart. The woman who tweets about income inequality on a device made by underpaid workers the minimalist who owns six jackets that's me
2: (laughs) we are all hypocrites i i you know it's really um it's kind of like when i talk about we're all shitheads and i know i know you don't like that because it's not like the empowering view but i have to I have to talk about it because it's funny. Mm-hmm. like that. And sometimes we have to look at things through jokes. Yes. And you know the thing is, I can look in the mirror and be like, yeah, man, you're a shithead, just like everyone else. But the question is, how much of a shithead am I? Uh-huh. It's the same thing with being a hypocrite. It's not very empowering to look in the mirror and say, I'm a hypocrite. Uh-huh. But what it is important is to recognize that we are all hypocrites to a certain extent. So uh, for me, what that does is it helps me stay a little bit
1: Less judgmental uh-huh. and more, uh, more compassionate. You know, I, and, and that's the whole point of the whole thing is, is yes. If we understand we're hypocrites, two things happen. One is there's a paradox. As soon as you admit it to being a hypocrite, you're no longer a hypocrite. So like <laughs> it absolves you of your sins of hypocrisy. Uh, obviously a joke there. But then uh, on top of that, um, what we have here is if we understand that, okay. He's not the only hypocrite. If I look in the mirror, I'm also a hypocrite, and I have hypocrite tendencies, as do we all. Okay, well, maybe that's going to a little bit more compassion when someone does something hypocritical.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: Number 24, most emergencies aren't. Mm. We often confuse other people's priorities for our own. Technology has brought everyone else's so-called emergencies into our inboxes, but just because something is important to your neighbor... That doesn't mean it must be urgent to you. Yeah. Keep that in mind because quite often someone will thrust a supposed urgent task onto you, but you know what? Maybe it's not important. Maybe it maybe it is important to them. Yeah. But it's not important to you, and it certainly does even if it is important to you, it doesn't have to be urgent for you either. Yeah. We yeah. confuse the two.
2: Yeah. And it, you know, it doesn't mean that
1: I don't know, I mean, like if something is in an emergency
2: to Mariah, or maybe she wants me to prioritize something different. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because that's the type of person I am. Like I'm happy to prioritize things. Uh, same thing with you. I'm happy to prioritize things that you would like me to prioritize differently. But ultimately, you know, that is an action out of out of love, not out of uh, feeling, uh, not out of obligation.
1: Right. Yeah. Because as soon as you're obligated to doing that, now all of a sudden you're in a way keeping score, mm-hmm. even if not literally, there's something going on in your head where you're like, yeah, you know what, I have to do this for her. Yeah, That's not a place from which you want to interact with someone, it's certainly not a loving place to be. Mm-hmm. And so if you are doing it out of obligation, you're not doing it out of love. Yeah. Number 25, there's no such thing as good debt. <laughs> well, we've known this for a while. Of course, the debtor is always slave to the lender.
2: There's no such thing as bad debt either.
1: That's true. Yeah. And so it's not morally bad to have debt. Right. Right. And yet we're told quite often by by people. In fact, I'll get to this in a, in a moment with number 26. We're, we're told that there is a such a thing. Yeah, yeah, but it's good debt. <laughs> There's no such thing as good debt. The debtor is always slave to the lender. Thus, be free or be in debt. You can't be both. You can't be both free mm. and in debt. No. Keep that in mind. 26, a credit score is really a debt score. Your culture has told you that to be a, quote, responsible adult, you must have, quote, good credit. Nonsense. There's no such thing as a credit score. If it measures your ability to go into debt, then let's call it what it is, a debt score. If you plan on being debt-free, then a credit score is useless. I mean, uh, that, that's just math, right? If sure. you don't ever need to borrow money from someone, you don't need a credit score. Right. I don't plan on ever going into debt, so I don't need a credit score. Now, if I do need a mortgage, for, let's say, like I, I decided, okay, I really do want to buy a house and get a mortgage. Well, yeah, you can do that without a, a credit score. It's called underwriting. Sure. You can't have a terrible credit score you can have no credit score and be fine mm. and so you can get financing with zero credit if you decide now now what about a landlord who wants to uh, uh check my credit score no no, no. what well, your land I, as a landlord I can tell you this mm-hmm. you don't care about someone's credit score nearly as much as you care about their ability to pay their bills
2: mm. yeah i mean it's like a landlord some landlords will look at the credit score because they're looking at a symptom. Mm -hmm. But there are other symptoms Mm -hmm. to look at than
1: just your credit score, for sure. That's right. And so having uh, having a bad credit score, meaning a bad as in low credit score, Mm -hmm. is certainly not desirable either, Mm -hmm. right? And so having zero... Having a credit score doesn't matter to me. Yeah, right? I would rather have a zero credit score, though, than, like, a 300 credit score. Definitely. If that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. So, so you'd rather not have a credit score, basically, functionally yes. a zero credit score, right. like what Dave Ramsey has, then, for example. Yeah, than a debt score that says that I irresponsibly handle debt. Yes. Uh, number 27, being does not require doing. Doing less isn't about the doing. It's about the less. Mm. Quite often, uh, you know, it's funny people ask us about, like, what... Uh, what apps and techniques and tricks do you do to free up your time? And it's like, well, wait a minute. Mm. How do I do less? You don't do the less. Mm. It's not about the doing right. It's about the, the less yeah. it's clearing. It's just like the thing we talked about with peace earlier. Peace can't be acquired. Uh, the same thing is with less is like, it's about subtraction as well. Mm. Number 28. Busyness is a cultural disease. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Man, that is
1: so true. There's such a difference between being busy and being focused. One involves the uh, typical tropes of productivity, anything to keep the hands moving, to keep the conveyor belt in motion. It is no coincidence that we refer to mundane tasks as busy work. Busy work works well for factory robots, but not so great for people who are attempting to do something worthwhile with their waking hours. Mm. Number 29 this one is, uh, well, we, we've touched upon it a little bit, but it took me forever to figure this one out. I don't think I figured this one out until the last year. Hmm. Criticism hurts only because you value praise. Mm. These are two sides of the same coin. If accolades, approval, and admiration are important to you, then you will suffer with every cavil, niggle, and jab because chasing the good will always bind you with the bad i didn't mean for that to rhyme but it does (laughs) so i mean that's the thing the 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 chasing the good will always bind you to the bad it's two sides of the same coin
2: i thought you were gonna say
1: um criticism
2: hurts because it's speaking to a truth Mm. because we've we've talked about that before too where it's like when someone criticizes you if it If it hurts you, Mm -hmm. then it's something you believe to be true. Right. And that is something that's just something to consider when we think about criticism.
1: Yes. Yeah. And so that's actually going to bring me to, ooh, I think it's number 30. Yeah. Number 37. I'll skip ahead here, Ryan. Number 37. Your opinion does not matter.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, your opinion doesn't matter.
1: That's true. Yeah. That's the next line. Neither does mine. (laughs) (laughs) What matters is the truth. Our beliefs only cloud that truth, mm. and so I, I think quite often is we we believe something, and we therefore want to pontificate that that belief, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. If a belief alone is something that actually make it's it's opaque, it gets mm-hmm. in the way of whatever the truth is, yeah. and so uh, the criticism thing, it it hurts because. I'm hurt by criticism because I am quote helped by praise, right? Yeah. I'm I I if I need one I can't I can't get by without the other. Yeah. I you, you need both because they're the same thing.
2: Yeah. There's also something there with like like my opinion only matters to me. <laughs> That's it right like it doesn't matter to anyone else and
1: that's what i'm saying here like it's it, useless your opinion yeah i'm not saying it doesn't matter to you clearly it, sure. it matters to you yeah. although i'm i'm working harder and harder to to see the the fallacy of my own beliefs mm, right yeah. and, and as soon as i start recognizing something as a belief mm-hmm. it tends to drop because i realize like oh there's an inherent falseness in that belief yeah. there's a do- belief is a really kind way of saying dogma in many ways mm-hmm. or maybe belief is a loosely held dogma yeah and and so you have to be careful not to let those dog those beliefs harden because they do turn into dogma mm-hmm. and man there's so much suffering involved with dogma oh yeah for sure suffering that we cause to other people mm-hmm. but also this sort of internal suffering that yeah, never seems to go away yeah. number 30 you don't value the things you think you value. Your values aren't what you say they are. They are whatever you spend your time and resources on. Show me your calendar and your bank statement and I will show you what you value. So what are you spending your time on? What are you spending your resources on? Mm -hmm. You might say your family is super valuable to you, Mm -hmm. but are you spending your time and your resources on that? Um, Or is it, the emails and the meetings and the Netflix and the Hulu and the YouTube. And the and, TikTok. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a trap. <laughs> yeah. Them kids and their TikToks. I haven't even been on TikTok, but, TikTok, but I've been on uh, Instagram's version of it, Reels. Oh, and yeah. it
2: is... Snap it, man.
1: Yeah. and But it is so addictive.
2: Oh, yeah. It's... Oh, yeah. Well, in general, social media the access to you know Netflix and Paramount Plus and HBO Ma- like the access it's doing something to our attention span. It really sure. is.
1: Yeah. Let's see what else we have here. Number 31. A life without boundaries is a life without peace. Mm. This is a minimal maximum of yours recently. Ooh,
2: that's almost like freedom is
1: misery. <laughs> In a way
2: mm. is how I'm interpreting that. It's because freedom is doing whatever you want at the drop of a hat but uh i've heard you talk before about like a three-year-old
1: doing whatever they want mm-hmm. um it's going to bring them misery yeah it, because that's a type of tyranny in a way because mm-hmm. it there's no self-restraint there right. so freedom real freedom has to do with self-restraint we write about that and in, in love people use things now when i talk about here, a life without boundaries is a life without peace. That's a line I borrowed from you, but here's what I have to say about that. It might seem like setting boundaries is the last thing you'd want to do to foster relationships, as if boundaries mean you're unwilling to let people in. But you can establish a boundary without erecting a fence. Knowing your boundaries will help you get a grasp on what you're willing to accept, as well as what you need to reject to live congruently. I think that's the last last part there. We all desire to live congruently it's why we lie quite often Mm. is to be congruent with the image that we try to portray to others we 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 seek congruency Mm. but of course on a long enough timeline we want to be incongruent it's called growth right sure it's just like we we want this sort of we we want to be like i'm at age 40 i'm so different from age four Mm. There isn't, like, I'm not congruent with that four-year-old. It's not even the same person in any meaningful way whatsoever. We have the same DNA, but so do my father and I, are we the same person? Mm. It becomes really strange. It's like, what's the uh, the old parable? If you bu- you replace a boat one plank at a time, If after you've replan- replaced every plank, is it the same boat? Yeah. Well, be- because there was some sort of... Um, consistency throughout then yes you might say it's the same boat but it's not really if every plank is different and i'm sort of the same way at, at age 40 yeah. and so yes we do have this deep desire to live congruently uh, but our our boundaries help us help us with that they help us get a grasp on what we're willing to accept and also what we're willing to reject in our lives so we don't say yes to everything which by the way makes me skip ahead to number 36 here, no is the most freeing word in the world. (laughs) You are buried by false obligations. But if you say yes to everything, you're accidentally saying no to your own tranquility. Mm. Man, I get so caught up in this saying yes, 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 appeasing people, but also thinking, oh yeah, I want to do all of these things, but if I do too much of it, it adds chaos to my life and that decreases my tranquility yeah number 32 competition is a mental illness Mm. we're smitten with winning but tethering contentment to an outcome is a recipe for discontent if you win the game but lose equanimity what have you won nothing you've lost everything Mm -hmm. ancient cultures have known this for millennia competitive behavior is linked to depression anxiety stress and self-harm so I have a link to a study here. We're just finding this out now, but pre civilized people have known this forever, right? Mm. Uh, I found out again last night when the Utah Jazz lost in the playoffs mm. and a game that they shouldn't have lost. And yet.
2: <laughs> I can hear the frustration in your voice. Oh, my God. I mean. Was at, it the final game in the series? It was. Yeah, oh, it was man. game
1: six. They they functionally got swept the last four games So they won the first two the last lost four they lost the last four and here's the thing i in 1998 was the biggest utah jazz fan Mm -hmm. and then they lost in the finals michael jordan hits that uh, iconic shot one of the probably the best known shot in nba history yeah he fouls brian (laughs) russell and then he (laughs) makes this shot um like announcers even joke about it now. Like, right. yeah, because they super superstars don't get the same calls as regular players, right? right. So they're allowed a little more leeway. Sure. I get it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet there was a foul there, and so and they lost the series. They never made it back to the finals after that. I stopped watching basketball. I was so distraught, so discontent because of my attachment, attachment, my competition, my need to win, my contentment was tethered to an outcome as i wrote here Mm -hmm. and and by the way i would have been so happy had they won i mean it would have i would have lost that happiness within a day or a a week it certainly wouldn't have lasted a whole week you would have had pleasure yes yeah yeah and and so i would have felt that in the moment but of course the next thing that made me discontent would have crept in and i would have been discontent all over again for something else and so the reward there of winning is so it's not nearly as powerful as the the discontent that we experience from quote unquote losing. Oh my
2: god. Dude, like another way
1: uh, okay, I'm just going to rephrase what you said. Um,
2: uh, the joy of win- winning isn't a sh- or yeah, isn't as strong of a feeling as it is the misery of losing. Yeah. Like you're absolutely right. Like let's say I don't the Bengals or the Buffalo Bills like those you know I like those NFL football teams let's say they won mm-hmm. the Super Bowl mm-hmm. uh or Tampa Bay I like Tampa Bay as well they won the Super Bowl last year mm-hmm. there was this there was this pleasure of oh they did it and like everyone at Bandit was happy because they're all you know uh, Tampa Bay fans and I was happy for them but like like that after that evening I didn't even think about it if right. they would have lost well, it would
1: have stuck with me it woke me up this morning I woke up at 3 a.m. this morning oh my uh, which is redundant. I woke up at 3 a.m. And uh, not 3 a.m. this afternoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> or 3 a.m. this evening. It's right. always a sign of a weak rider when they write like 3 a.m. in the morning I or something. You, um, you. Would just say 3 in the morning. Anyway. Um, uh, so, yes. I woke up at 3 in the morning. And... I was playing back the game. Like, I had any bearing on the game whatsoever. Right. So, Donovan Mitchell, who is my favorite basketball player, mm-hmm. is, he was injured. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he, he's my height, mm-hmm. but 60 pounds heavier. Oh, wow. And just like a, I mean, he's a, a, a brick, right? Yes. And he can jump like crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. you see him jumping over people, but he has a sprained ankle. He's been playing on a sprained ankle. He got 39 points last night with a sprained ankle. Wow. But you could see he couldn't, he wasn't doing the same stuff that he could usually do. Mm. This freak athleticism was sort of tempered by his injury. The other player, Mike Conley on the team, was also injured. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, like, oh, we should have done this. And I'm like, what am I thinking? There's Mm. no we. Right. I'm not on that team. Right. And even then, even then, there isn't a we. That's
2: so amazing. And you would not have woken up at 3 a.m. with joy. No. Because they won. Oh, I'm replaying that game. And they, like, yeah, it's, that's interesting. Misery, it, it it runs deeper
1: than joy. The feeling of misery runs deeper than the feeling of joy. And that's why I got to go back to number 42, the one that is that is too, uh, too hot for TV. Um, <laughs> let's see here. When I said every relationship will bring you misery, especially the people closest to you. Well, that's why I'm telling myself to be careful there because mm. every relationship I know is going to bring me misery. There's no question about that. Every relationship in my life, if it is a relationship, even a tertiary relationship, Mm -hmm. is going to bring some level of minute misery, right? And it's always going to be so much more powerful than that joy. Mm. And so I have to be careful that, is this worth it? Mm. Because if not, then I'm like just setting myself up for suffering yeah and and we don't realize that because you you, in a moment ago you said well yeah the opposite is true of course it is but that's what we all are seeking out i'm going to bring these friends into my life because it's going to be awesome Mm -hmm. it is going to be awesome and it's going to be miserable and so man how do i mitigate that misery some of it has to do with mitigating the desire for the the joy I get from that relationship as well yeah. and then I'm actually able to enjoy it in the moment mm-hmm. which we'll get to number 40 here in a moment, that will sum up the whole thing here alright, number 33 mm-hmm. society confuses schooling with education real briefly here you don't need a lectern and a lecture to learn something valuable hmm. it's okay to get schooling mm-hmm. but it's not the same thing as education you can learn something Hmm. without getting the degree right you can get a degree without learning something for sure Mm -hmm. Uh, plenty of honorary degrees or or plenty of ways to sort of cheat the system and coast through community college and then somewhere else and not really learn a whole lot but get the piece of paper to prove that you learned something yeah and so we too often confuse we we conflate them as maybe a better let me let me write that down. Actually, society conflates schooling and education mm. because, yeah, we we think that the only way to learn something quite often is well, I'm supposed to go off to college now. Mm. It's fine to go to college. Yeah, in fact, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. I don't want a do-it-yourself dentist working on my teeth. Right, but I'm okay. Like the the guy who was in here helping with lighting earlier, Evan i have no idea where where his certification is from
3: yeah
1: it doesn't matter to me he does good work he has an amazing education right Mm -hmm. now he could be an autodidact and have learned all of this on his own
3: yeah
1: or maybe he was had an apprenticeship or maybe he has a master's degree in lighting i have no idea and i don't care Mm -hmm. because no longer do i conflate schooling with education. Well, we, we also call it appeal to authority. Yeah, it's, yes,
2: yeah. And, and and that appeal to authority, it makes us look at schooling as the solution, mm. which sometimes in that specific example, the solution is the problem. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we, we go to school because we think we want to do one thing and we get our degree. I mean, how many people have written into us and they're like, oh, I went to school to be X, Y, and Z, and now I don't want to do X, Y, and Z, but I stuck with it because I had to finish school. Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, well, what did you really learn? You learned what you didn't want to do, uh-huh. which is great. But but that yeah, helps. it's, yeah. But you don't have to, as soon as you learn that, you don't have to keep doing the thing you don't want to do then. Right. I learned that I hate playing basketball. Well, you probably don't need to finish the season out then. Right. You know, now, it, don't get me wrong. It often makes sense because of you've obligated yourself to something. You to, you don't want to leave people high and dry. But even then, mm-hmm. you can have conversations with people and say, hey, this isn't what I thought it was. Mm. And it's making me miserable. Yeah. It's okay to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Number 34. Uh-oh. <laughs> Parenting is detrimental to children. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just now realizing that some of these might like seem very countercultural. Well, what What you're doing with these
2: is you are trying to help people see these bits of advice maybe that we that we uh we take as gospel mm-hmm. and you're trying to flip them on their head to have someone really look at it like i mean when you say parenting you don't mean like changing a baby's diaper right. like that's not you're not talking about the mechanics of it so so right. talk a little bit more about what you're trying to say with that
1: sure so y- you're right let me let me just go i'll go into what it says here in a moment but i think what i am trying to do with me is these are observations for me. I write to figure out what I think quite often. Yeah. But then I also write to express and communicate. And, and and really what I... what I, Maybe there's a fourth component there. Thinking. Because the thinking thing can be like, okay, what are my beliefs and opinions? Uh, that's not why I write. Mm-hmm. But it helps me better understand what is true. Yeah, And more important, because it's language, it helps me really understand what isn't true. Sure. And there's a and really what i'm seeing here is there's a lot of untruth that is propagated by society yes. with great intentions mm-hmm. with uh caring people mm-hmm. and there's just a whole lot of untruth out there and so when i say parenting is detrimental to, to children what i'm saying here is while adults might have more knowledge children are far more wise than their conditioned parents consequently We are better served by learning from our kids than we are from, quote, parenting them. Mm -hmm. Perhaps Kapil Gupta said it best. Adults are fools. Children are wise. For children, everything is new. The adult hasn't seen a new thing in years. (laughs) Let's talk about this. Because you and I have seen new things. Sure. But throughout my 20s, that really applied to me. I hadn't seen a new thing in years. I saw variations of the same thing.
2: Even now it's like
1: even when we do see a new thing mm-hmm. it's tainted by our
2: our perspective. it's tainted by our viewpoint that we have learned up to this point. You're right. So that's wh- wh- when, you know what I hear you saying about a kid um, seeing something new, not only is he seeing it new, but he doesn't have a tainted perspective to analyze or to process what that new thing that he's seeing, where we cannot, unfortunately, we cannot undo our childhood. We can't undo our, our, our corporate years. Mm-hmm. Um, we can
1: unlearn some of it, maybe. and we can learn some of the the inherent, we can understand some of the inherent falseness and in the things we've been taught, and mm-hmm. that helps us drop some of those things. Mm-hmm. But as I, as, as I start understanding how most of the things if not everything we've been taught is mm-hmm. has some bit of falseness in it or is just inherently false mm-hmm. it it starts to shine a spotlight on on the absurdity of of parenting kids if if i'm trying to constantly impart wisdom on them but they're the wise ones i'll give you one example to illustrate this ella in school they have a mindfulness session class They mm. it's like 15 minutes of mindfulness a day oh wow right which sounds great and so you realize like the intention sounds good right yeah. right so let's say she's in school for seven hours throughout right. the day yeah. six hours and 45 minutes they spend taking her out of the moment and then for 15 minutes they try to teach her a child who by the way is always in the moment mm-hmm. unless she is taken out of the moment they try to teach her how to be in the moment, where all they would have to do is observe her for a moment and realize, oh, she's already in the moment. Maybe she could teach me this whole mm. in the moment thing. Yeah. I don't have anything to teach her about living in the moment. Mm. I'm always living in the past and the future. That's my conditioning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But from her, I really do learn about, oh, this is, there is no past with her. Mm -hmm. There is no future with her. Like there is now because we've infected her with these constructs. Right. But when she was little, it was never about what did you have for lunch? What did you do last week? Mm -hmm. What's happening right now, right here in front of me?
2: Makes me think about that law they just passed in Florida. Have you heard about this? Tell me about it. They passed a law that basically every school, every public school uh, has to have a moment, a minute of reflection a minute of mindfulness Mm. a minute a minute of silence basically and they're like you can spend it in prayer you can spend it in meditation has to be at least 60 seconds could be no longer than a minute uh, or 120 seconds no longer than two minutes Mm -hmm. but but to your point like i saw that i'm like this sounds like more of a posturing thing for who the governor whoever like
1: you know passed that law yeah it it actually doesn't sound beneficial yeah it's checking a box in a way yeah it's like uh there's a breathing app that i use which is so absurd but mm-hmm. like the thing is i've i've conditioned myself out of natural breathing as a <laughs> human being just
2: imagine as soon as you exit out of it, you're, like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you're <right. laughs>
1: Do you think the Hadza need a breathing practice? Never.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's funny because that goes back to the the solution is the problem. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Keep going. Sorry. So you're using a breathing app because you forget how to breathe naturally. We all do.
1: Right. And so and there are, of course, benefits of breathing naturally. And so it's it's simply reminding myself to breathe because I've forgotten how to breathe. But not really. Like, Mm -hmm. I've never stopped breathing for a day. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't. And so but the natural breathing is something that no longer comes naturally because I've learned not through a specific implicit message of here's how you breathe, but I've learned how to breathe by sitting at desks all day, mm. staying inside all day, not exercising regularly throughout my teens and twenties. Well twenties really. I exercise a lot as a teen. But uh, you know, naturally, right, not going to the gym. Right. And and what I'm learning with this whole breathing app is like how absurd is this mm-hmm. i'm learning how to breathe something i literally do every minute of every day of mm-hmm. my entire life
2: but it's because we're surrounded by so many unnatural things yes yeah we yeah forget how to do the natural stuff
1: right and number 35 when everything is precious nothing is precious amen to that man that's that's one of the best lessons i feel like i've learned too up to this point
2: is we, we want to make everything precious. We want to have attachment to everything. We want everything to be meaningful, but if everything is meaningful, then
1: nothing is meaningful. Yes, and ev- if everything is important, nothing's important. Right. And unfortunately, if everyone else's important thing becomes important to us, mm-hmm. what is important to us goes by the wayside. Yeah. We covered number 36. And number 37, moving on to 38, there are no shoulds. Now, this mm-hmm. is obviously just within the last year or so, less than a year. Mm-hmm. Really understand, understanding that, well, there are only coulds, you know, mm-hmm. possibilities for the future. Yeah. A devoted seeker won't find anything they must do, but they will discover many things they can do if they are compelled. Compelled not by society, but by a deep longing in their heart got two more for you. One that I've learned acutely over the last three years. <laughs> Health is everything. Mm. This is number 39. If you're reading this and you're healthy, or if you're listening to this and you're healthy, you're already living the dream. Mm. Everything else, possessions, status, riches, validation, adulation, even companionship is window dressing. Health is everything. And and here's why I say that. And the next point will actually contradict this in some way because, mm-hmm. again, the limits of language. But health is everything because without – it's the Confucius quote that we mm-hmm. have in Love People Use Things is a healthy man wants 10,000 things. A sick man wants just one. Yeah, It's interesting. This is like the, the one thing that we wrote about.
2: That w- one of the first things we wrote about. Yes. That, that, and men was living of life. Yes. That
1: holds true today.
2: Or that we still agree with today.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because at the beginning of Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life of the health chapter, which is the first value of the five values Mm -hmm. in that book, there's this whole sort of experiment. Like, imagine getting everything, the, the dream house, the salary, the job that... You absolutely you know, call your mission, and, mm-hmm. and it's get so, the
2: perfect spouse. Right, you have yeah.
1: all these things, but now all of a sudden you feel this pain in your gut. You go to the doctor, and they say you have six months to live, but you're not going to be able to get out of bed past this uh, week. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the heartache! You it would actually be more painful because you've got everything you ever wanted, mm. but you have nothing. Yeah, and that's actually the last point here. Number forty. Ultimately, there is nothing.
2: <laughs> I think you could also say the opposite. Ultimately, there is everything.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, let me let me uh, and you can and I think I think we can get there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, So let me let me let me let me be clear about what I mean by this. There is no past. Mm -hmm. There is no future. Those concepts exist only as memories and thoughts, respectively, that occur right here, right now. So the past doesn't actually exist. It exists as a memory, Mm. which, by the way, we've learned now that memories are simply reconstructions. You don't have a file bank of memories. Mm. Anytime you have a memory of say, you know, the the time your dad brought you to get ice cream at the Dairy Queen mm-hmm. in Warren County, Ohio. Chocolate dipped, yes. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that you're reconstructing that memory so it's not a it's not a carbon copy it's almost as though you're taking and you're drawing that you're a really good artist but you're drawing that scene every single time Mm. it's going to be a little bit different each time Mm. So every time you've reconstructed that memory every memory is in a way inherently false as well yeah and therefore even the past that doesn't exist but exists only in the moment is false in a way and even if you've captured it on camera like we're doing right here mm-hmm. it's inherently incomplete right it's sure. just a narrow view but most of the world 99.99 repeating percent mm-hmm. of the world is happening to the right and left and up and down of the frame yeah right it's
2: it almost sounds like a nihilistic viewpoint but i'm gonna get away from the nihilism yeah i, I can see where it would be though yeah but yeah but it's actually freeing in a lot of ways
1: that's exactly where i'm going yeah. exactly so uh So it says, don't worry, this isn't a bad thing, good and bad are societal constructs. (laughs) It is a freeing thing. If there is nothing to cling to, then there is only now. Mm. And so in a way, there is everything, but that everything is right right now. now. Yeah. And so eternity is another way to think about this. We, we hear about afterlife and, and, and you know, talk about uh, living for eternity or, or, or the eternal life. And we think in time, it, 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 we think about it as time span. Yeah. If you live in eternity, it's going to be what? It's going to be here. I'll just take this piece of paper here, right? Sure. And this is your life on this piece of paper. I'm, I'm, for those of you not watching this, I'll, I'm just going to describe it. So here's your date of birth. Here's your date of death. And we think, I'll hold this up for the camera here, Jordan. But we think that our life occurs like this as a a linear narrative, because this is how we experience time in our own life. Right. And then so the afterlife or eternal life mm-hmm. must be like after we die and then it just keeps going on in perpetuity sure. uh, same way it was i'll have a better car and a, a beautiful spouse etc mm-hmm. but eternal just means without time
2: mm. so there's also like there's what happens after death and uh-huh. then there's all that eternity that happened before your birth
1: but there's th- yes and then there's the third which is the eternal moment the mm. right now mm. it, it's you know when you are snowboarding mm-hmm. and you reach that state of no mind sure you get in flow state it, you getting the flow state and time passes differently than if you're taking a a american history test at mm-hmm. miami university or something yeah it, all of a sudden that time is moving real slow to us on the uh, when, when you're on, on the the mountain and you're skiing that time is happening, not at all. Yeah, It's of no time, it's eternal. Yeah, And so when we speak of eternity, we may be talking, someone might be talking about going on forever, mm-hmm. but we can't even s- comprehend that, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the universe is only 13.7 billion years old. That's barely even the beginning of eternity. Mm. That's not even the beginning of it. That is one microsecond of eternity. Mm. So that's all we're talking about. We talk about eternity going on forever. We talk about the timeless, and so eternity is accessible right here, right now. And so when you say there is everything, there is, but it's only in this moment.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: Now, Ryan, you asked me to bring my computer because there is Jordan. I'm gonna hop. I'm gonna sit down here if you want to adjust the camera. Yeah, I
2: uh, I I asked you to look at your. 30 lessons from 30.
1: I haven't looked at it.
2: And I want, that's that's amazing. I'm not going to look at it because I think I'm going to do this too for my 40th birthday. I'm going to do the same thing in the sense that I'm not going to look at what I wrote about 10 years ago. I'm going to write, you know, what I've learned up to this point and see what crosses over and also see what maybe I disagree with. Yes. Yeah. So So let's get into it. I'm going to get another glass of water. Will you
1: grab me some too? Yeah. Thank you. So, Ryan, here's what I have here. This is 30 life lessons from 30 years. I wrote this 10 years ago this month. Number one is we must love. Mm. And well, I don't know that I... I don't think I had a full grasp of love back then, um, but I had a... I had a subtle understanding of it. It's almost as though I saw it through the view, through the peephole, or the keyhole. So I had a keyhole view into love but now that i understand love more deeply it's not that we must love is that we are love we experience love this is love some people might call it god in fact what do the scriptures say Ryan? god is love number two says love isn't enough well i agree with that because it's enough in some respects right but it's not enough for a thriving relationship, let's say.
2: So, you I, mu- So the n- number one is you must love. The second one is, is love isn't enough.
1: Right. Mm. Love is... So, the way that I would phrase this now... In fact, I wrote about this a little bit in Love People Use Things is... Yes, uh, I love people, mm-hmm. right? And yet, I love Bex, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. I love my ex-wife mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. But love wasn't enough for that relationship. It requires compatibility. It requires all of these other things for that relationship to thrive. So I would say love isn't enough for a relationship to thrive. <clears throat> Number three, happiness is not for sale. Yeah, yeah. obviously agree with that. Yeah. Number four, success is perspectival. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, depending
2: on how you look at it, it could be a failure or.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and so, 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 societal success is failure mm. if you change your definition of success mm-hmm. it's like when you go to france and you order a taco mm-hmm. it's not really a taco right. they just call it a taco sure and, and, but it's it doesn't even have the same ingredients they just mm-hmm. simply give it and so like if you want to call that a taco fine i'm not going to get mad at you for doing it mm-hmm. but that's not what everyone else thinks of when they think of success or a taco they right. think of something else yeah. number five make change a must. Well, that is a prescription and that is a, that's some advice. And so I, I don't, um, I don't resonate with that anymore. Mm. Um,
2: well, I think maybe you do in the, cause in the, in the spirit of it, what you were saying was, again, you have a deeper understanding now. Um, so I think the spirit of this, you can still look at it with until you fundamentally understand
1: the problem. Mm-hmm. You're
2: not going to be able to, to change.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so maybe if I were to rephrase that today, as I would say, simply, change is inevitable.
2: Yes. There it is.
1: And, and because, and and therefore, you're either going to change or be changed. Mm-hmm. And so understanding the direction in which you want to change, yeah. is uh, it, is preferable to me. Yeah. Number six, which is the meaningful life. Uh, giving is living. So. Um. Yes, I. I agree with that, but not prescriptively. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's where I probably differ from this. So I do agree with the essence of it that that uh, we get great fulfillment from contributing beyond ourselves. Mm-hmm. But if I do it out of obligation, then I've removed the love from the con- from the contribution.
2: Well, yeah. If you do it with with a prescription in mind, okay. then you have expectations. And as we know, the more expectations we have, the more suffering
1: we bring upon ourselves. Right. It's like, I don't feel altruistic for paying my taxes. Right. But my taxes do go to help other people. Sure. And so, but it's a forced that, that's a forced giving. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, feel, I don't feel the same as I do when you and I build an orphanage or you and I build a grocery store in a food desert or you and I right. build an elementary school in a third world country. Mm-hmm. When we do things like that uh, and I decide to do it, not because I'm obligated to do it, not because I'm supposed to do it, mm-hmm. but because I get to do it. Yeah. Man, that's, uh, that does feel meaningful to me. I find great meaning in that. Again, not inherently meaningful, but I find meaning in that. Mm. Number seven, health is underestimated. Oh, so health is everything. Health is underestimated. Yeah. 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 So our well-being is more important than most of us treat it. Uh, Yeah. Well, absolutely. Number eight, sentimental items are less important. Um. Oh yeah. So our memories are not in our things. Our memories are inside us. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I. I yeah. obviously agree with that. So. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of these things already. I can see the similarities between,
2: like the essence, and then what you've done with the forty lessons.
1: Forty lessons from forty is like it's a distilled, refined. Yeah, refined essence. Number nine. Uh, your job is not your mission. At least it wasn't for me. Although I treated it like it was for the longest time. Mm. I worked so much that. The rest of my life suffered. There's nothing wrong with hard work as long as it doesn't get in the way of life's most important areas. Yeah, I I, I would I would actually say now I, that creativity is one of life's most important areas. So if I'm creating through my work, then uh, that is an essential relationship in my life. Mm. Is my in fact it's it, it's the one that I probably get the most fulfillment from is from creating. Uh, I can say it's from contributing and and that's, that's partially true, Mm -hmm. but like really the, but, but when I am creating the way that I enjoy to create, there is a contribution aspect to it. Mm -hmm. So it's not purely for self. Right. I mean, ultimately it's all for self. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but there is a aspect that extend. it's not just for self. Yeah. Number 10, find your, finding your passion is important. Yeah. Okay, maybe. Yeah, I, I would just say creativity. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would rephrase that now. Yeah, just being creative is important. Yes, yeah, yeah. and right. so, so passion isn't pre-existing. You, don't, you, don't, you you weren't born to do anything, and, and that's sort of what I was trying to say here, is yeah. like, if you want to be a yoga teacher, great. You were, that's not what you were born to do, but mm-hmm. if you've found the passion, wonderful. Number 11, relationships matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll also make you miserable, so they really matter, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, right. From both angles, yeah, for sure.
1: Number 12, uh, you don't need everyone to like you.
2: You don't need anything. Yeah, amen. <laughs> right.
1: Amen. Yeah, I mean, maybe there are some essential needs, but even mm-hmm. those are... are. Um, well, I mean, it's sleep, it's food.
2: Yeah, so you don't need anything to thrive there are things you need to survive right well maybe there. are i don't know man that's even that's kind of paradoxical because like as an you know as an extrovert i like to have people in my life it helps me thrive when i have people in my life yes but yeah there are
1: very few things you need to survive maybe that's maybe that's a way of looking at it right yeah uh and and it's certainly not the things that you think they are quite often yeah so number 13 status is a misnomer Yeah. So this is the success thing again. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole status thing, it actually makes you less free in many ways. There's that, that essay I was talking to you about, it was called uh, power. No, thanks. I'm good. Mm. And it's really about how the least free person in the United States is probably the president of the United States because they have all the power. Yeah. And with all the power. comes it,
2: all the responsibility. Yes.
1: Yeah. And it restricts you of your freedom. Number 14, jealousy is a wasted emotion. Oh, yeah, I yeah. still I still agree with that. Yeah. Uh, number 15, everybody worships something. Yeah, I think mm. we just don't realize what we worship. Yeah. And so quite often, unfortunately, it's money or it's status or it's success. Mm. It's, um, I mean, now we see it with all the vapidness going on online. You got to get that bag. Yeah. We're worshiping. Not even the money, but the idea of money is success. That that's what we're worshiping. What a weird thing to worship. Mm. Number sixteen. I am not the center of the universe. <laughs> well, of course, I. You're the center of your universe. Yeah, and so that's weird. So, like, in a way, I disagree with this, but I agree with the sentiment. I think it's 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 a it's a fact. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that I am the center of my universe, mm-hmm. and and it knowing both of those things is really helpful. So, because why I'm always drinking from my glass, seeing through my eyes, speaking into my microphone, typing into my computer. Mm. And even if I borrow your computer, it's mine for the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's my experience still. I can't borrow your computer and then see it through your experience. So I, maybe there's another way my experience is at the center of my being yeah yeah something there, something there. <laughs> number 17 awareness is the most precious freedom there's an irony in this one i don't think i really understood awareness at the time mm. i i this is one of those things where i was glimpsing through the keyhole again mm. and so i saw a little bit of a well of awareness but awareness is another word these are all interchangeable words by the way yeah anthony DeMello uses awareness Happiness, freedom, love, and God all interchangeably. Mm. Like, they all mean the same thing to him mm. because there's, in truth he would use there as well. Yeah. And so it's like Thomas Aquinas, I think, talked about how you uh, can't write about God. You can only write about what God isn't. Mm. And, and the same thing is true with truth and any of these other things, right?
2: It's interesting. I think you probably still agree with this.
1: Yeah, I think but I agree with for, it more. For, now. Yeah, but
2: yeah. So you agree with it for a different reason than what it was.
1: Yeah, t- ten years ago. Well, the irony is, I now that I have experienced more awareness, I'm not com- I'm not enlightened, mm-hmm. but I've experienced more awareness. And by the way, enlightenment is not the goal. Uh, now that I've experienced more awareness, I've woken up more, as Sam Harris would call it.
0: Mm.
1: I agree with this even more. It is the most precious freedom. Yeah, it mm. is freedom. Mm awareness
2: yeah i mean Mm. another way to say awareness is a deep understanding
1: Uh i think yes yeah of the way things are not as you wish them to be yeah which is also what love is right number 18 be on the mountain i use this term as a metaphor for living in the moment i wrote about this in in, uh, love people use things the very first blog post on our website was a be on the mountain sort of thing and i wanted to really expand on that for love people use things and and really what we're talking about here is be present yeah being the Mm -hmm. problem with even saying this is it sounds prescriptive Mm -hmm. but like good luck trying to be in the moment right all right hey podcast sean go ahead and be present right now it's like (laughs) it's weird because when you're taking attendance in high school it's like present yeah here but are we really are we really here (laughs) and what are we doing here uh, yeah, so number 19 is we are scared for no reason. That's true. Yeah. Ask yourself, what am I afraid of? We wow.
2: fear the wrong things.
1: Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I told you about... Uh, we're going to talk about this next week on the episode that we already recorded for my birthday while Bex was here. The the Hadza, when they ask about... Uh, ask, what is your biggest fear? And like, I think you go around and you ask the average person on the street, they're going to say, well, you yeah, um, my biggest fear is, you know, getting sick or being alone getting or in a car crash, sure. yeah, being alone, yeah. people Dying forgetting in a fire. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and And so a lot of these things are irrational fears. Mm-hmm. And they asked the Hadza and, and uh, the, the tri- tribal leader paused for a moment and said, what's your biggest fear? And he pauses and he looks up and he says, Lions. And that's the fear, mm-hmm. and that makes sense. Yeah, they are like, actually scared
2: for a reason. Yes, it's something that that is a real threat to them. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not. The, it's not a perceived threat. Yes, and, and for me, it's like, oh, I'm afraid of inflation. Mm. Okay, <laughs> right. Is it going to kill me? No, it's going to make me more. It's going to be slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. So what? Yeah. All right. Uh, number twenty. Change is growth. Hmm. Mm. Hmm.
2: Well, I, I mean, yes and no, like <clears throat> growth is change mm-hmm. <laughs> and you could, I mean, I guess you could flip it mm-hmm. because anytime, and, and cause you could use the word evolving,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but it's not good or bad. There's no value judgment. There just is. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, I could still see where that would hold true today. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so maybe what the, what I was trying to convey here is that, that change is inevitable. Mm -hmm. And people, we say people are afraid of change, but they're not really. They're afraid of being changed. Right. Right. And so we all like change when it is planned and beneficial for us. Mm -hmm. Ryan, I just changed your bank balance. It's a million dollars (laughs) heavier. Oh, but no, Josh, I hate change. Right. No, of course you're not going to say it. What we really say is, what we're saying there is, we hate change that is thrust upon us yeah and it's surprising or uncomfortable or inconvenient yeah number 21 pretending to be perfect doesn't make us perfect did you really put a million bucks on my account <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'm sorry read that one again
1: <laughs> over a long enough timeline maybe <laughs> um let's see 21 is pretending to be perfect doesn't make us perfect oh yeah that's yeah yeah and, although here's what i'll say it, and my my this is definitely a, an area in which I have changed mm. my awareness, or my understanding has changed. And it's that we, when I say we're born complete, in a way, what I'm really saying there is we, we are born perfect. Yeah. And, and we, we disimperfect our, we, we disperfect ourselves, mm. ourselves, we disperfect ourselves throughout the course of our lives. We, we heap things onto us that make us imperfect it's like if you have a pristine perfect piece of land Mm -hmm. and you turn it into a landfill that's what we've all done with our identities and now we're just walking heaps of trash basically Mm. again trash isn't bad either if it was you all wouldn't have a trash can in your house okay every person listening to this has a trash can in their house so don't think i'm saying it's bad to have trash or that trash is a bad thing I'm simply saying that it is what is making the land or the person imperfect. Now, so we think of a baby. and you oh, That baby is a perfect baby, right? And then at some point, we give it a tablet and have made it imperfect, right? <laughs> Number 22, the past does not equal the future. Sure. Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, simply trying to convey there that just because something... Was a habit or uh, a constant in the past it does not need to be a constant now or in the future number 23 pain can be useful but not suffering oh totally disagree with that Mm -hmm. um suffering is a choice is maybe the way that i would rephrase that Mm -hmm. now so so uh pain is not a choice generally i mean i think about my own health problems The, the pain that I feel is constant. The suffering that I feel is a result of that pain. Yeah. Number 24, doubt kills. Yeah. 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 I think doubt is, you know, the self doubt is extremely harmful mm-hmm. and it will prevent us from doing what we want to do to live a meaningful life, to live a joyous life, to uncover the peace that is already there it's the doubt it's when we were on the minimal episode and the the woman called in and she was having doubts about her job and and, and wanting to get a new job Mm -hmm. that doubt often prevents us from moving in the direction we want to move because it's uncomfortable
2: yeah
1: number 25 it's okay to wait yeah yeah i would now i would say pause you know it's okay to pause Mm -hmm. um why rush if you don't have to Number 26, honesty is important. Yeah, I mean, I I, I there the whole cha- whole chapter about the our relationship with the truth. Also, I would throw the truth is different from honesty and yeah. honesty is is an aspect of truth, right? Yeah. Number 27, open, openness is just as important as honesty. Yeah, another type of truth. Mm-hmm. Being open and being honest, don't confuse those things with transparency. That's a third thing, a little bit different. Uh, Transparency—we think of that as the most virtuous of, of the of these—but hmm. that, that's absurd. Sure, we don't want our government to be fully transparent. If they, if they were, they they would give us all the nuclear codes. Right. Uh, no, they're not going to do that. I don't want to be fully transparent uh, because most transparency doesn't even serve the greater good. Sure. If I give you my social security number, that's right, that's transparent of me. Mm. What the hell do you need that for? Right. If you're listening to this, Ryan has it because he needs it for some stuff, right? Sure. But you listening to this, you don't need my social security number. Number 28, getting people's buy-in, adding value to other people is the only way to get their buy-in. Hmm. Yeah. I think I, yeah, before I would try to convince people, mm-hmm. but really I like this. This is maybe the first sort of inkling of, oh, I don't need to convince anyone. I simply, if I add value to their life, that's a, much more compelling way to get their buy-in. Yeah, I can compel them without convincing them of anything, without trying to convince them of anything.
2: Have you seen uh, Fargo season four yet?
1: No, is that one with Chris Rock? Yeah, it's pretty good. I've only yeah. seen a couple episodes of it, but
2: there's a line in there where I think I think it is Chris Rock's character. He's like, "In order to be respected, you must give respect." Mm. And uh, I don't know. To me, it's it's almost it's kind of along this. It's the same vein of uh, if you want
1: people to pay
2: attention then add value. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, because if you aren't, if you're think about the more exaggerated version of that, if you're disrespecting someone, right. I'm not going to respect you, right? Because why would I, right? But if you're respecting me, even if we have a disagreement mm-hmm. and you're being respectful, I, it, the propensity for me to be respectful is going to be much higher as yeah. a result. Number 29, hype is cancerous. Oh, more so now. Yeah. It is metastasized. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot recently with uh, everything that's going on with uh, the change in the media landscape. Mm. Think about this. So anyone who's under 40 at this point, mm-hmm. certainly people who are under 30, mm-hmm. haven't given any thought about network television. Right. In their whole life, anyone under thirty. Right. You and I have barely given it any thought. Mm-hmm. We've we've gone on a lot of network television. We've been on Today Show and CBS this morning, and and the Nightline, and all of these different things. But it makes me think like that's not reaching anyone under forty. I right. mean, certainly no one under thirty, except a few people peppered in here or there who are forced to watch it because it's on in some waiting room or in the house they're living in at the time. But yeah, and now there are people who are Justin Bieber-level famous, mm-hmm. whom you have uh, you and I have never heard of. Right. People with 70 million TikTok followers. Mm-hmm. And like they could walk by me on the street and do their TikTok routine, and I would just think they were having a manic breakdown, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, yeah, hype is cancerous. Because really what I'm saying here is the attention-seeking is cancerous because i was talking to evan we were setting up these lights earlier and and there was a point in after our first documentary came out i had to be really careful because it was like oh this attention can be really intoxicating yes yeah and as soon as you start needing it it ruins everything that i was doing yeah and thankfully i caught it pretty quickly Mm -hmm. but it was intoxicating and for all all the wrong reasons it wasn't gratifying it wasn't fulfilling it was pleasurable yeah finally number 30 i'm still trying to figure it all out (laughs) i agree and disagree with this one uh i think yes i don't have it all figured out right but also i think i don't want to figure it out i think there's something about letting the mystery be the mystery as yeah. Jamie Wheel would say. Yeah,
2: 100%.
1: Ryan, that's the intro to this Maximal episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah,
2: We got some surprise questions, don't we? We do
1: indeed. Yeah. You know no, that was fun, though, to explore and to go through. And that was a lot, y'all. Thanks for sticking with us. Let's yeah. get into some of these surprise questions cool. here. Sarah has a question for us.
2: What if I let go of everything to start over and realize that that was the wrong decision for me? Mm. I have a beautiful house that I built myself for myself and filled it with beautiful things. Still, I can't stop thinking about selling it all, including the house and moving into a backpack and simplifying everything in Bali, or Mm. perhaps moving into an RV to be nomadic. I'm scared, though, because it all is so nice and beautiful and comfortable here. Man, uh... You know what? I, I have this feeling if Sarah stays in her house, she's going to always want to backpack, move into an RV. <clears throat> and if she moves into an RV and backpack, she's going to always want to be in the beautiful house.
1: So you're saying do both. Exactly.
2: But you know what? She actually could do both. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, you don't have to sell your house. You could rent it out. You could Airbnb it out. And you could go do your thing in Bali. Yes. Um, but... There, there is, there's something deeper going on here with the contentment uh, in Sarah. Yeah. It has nothing to do with living out of a backpack or living in a beautiful home.
1: It's, I think, part of this is understanding your values, right? Yeah. And so, if you value comfort more than you value variety, for example. Yeah. So another way to say comfort is to say certainty. Mm-hmm. In other way, say variety is to say uncertainty. Yeah. And so, if you va- value comfort or certainty more than you value variety and uncertainty mm-hmm. and by the way ryan and i are different in these ways ryan values uncertainty a lot more than i value it i value comfort a lot more than he values it mm-hmm. but too much comfort it doesn't mean these are human needs we both we have the need for both it's just in what quantities do i value variety what quantities do i value certainty mm-hmm. right and, yeah. and so if i'm if i'm talking directly to sarah and i and i but i hold up a mirror to myself it's understanding what my values are. And if you value travel and what it's going to bring for you, then wonderful, mm-hmm. you can do that. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, you, they, they say you can't do everything. You can, you just can't do everything at once. <laughs> exactly. And so I think unfortunately what we, what we think, when, this is when I say you can't fix it, this is exactly what I mean. Mm-hmm. When I say you can't fix anything, hmm. meaning, your life isn't fixed. Imagine if I took four-year-old Ryan Nicodemus and fixed his life mm. and nothing changed from that. What a miserable life that would be for the rest of your life. Sure. It was wonderful for that period of time. Now, the same is true as we get older. Maybe the the time frame expands quite a bit. But let's say there are a dozen things you are going to be, well, not a dozen. Let's say there are eight things you're going to be passionate, deeply passionate about in your life. Mm-hmm. Great. That's eight, 10-year periods for you to get really immersed in eight things that you are passionate about and really diving deep into one of those things right now. That could be traveling to Bali. And then 10 years from now, that could be, or five years from now, or a year from now, Mm -hmm. that could be the RV thing. You're always going to have a new object day, but desiring your desires, as Peter Rollins would say, Mm -hmm. is what makes life rewarding fulfilling exciting passionate yeah sarah it doesn't have to be one way or the other
2: it can be it can it can it it is and it isn't um so i would not focus on one solution or one answer to this question because no matter what you choose if you are uh, in love with yourself or if if you are happy with yourself however you want to look at it then whatever you choose is going to be the right answer yeah, if you're but a, you're not going to be complete in your you're not going to be complete in your house or you're not going to be complete in an RV. Like n- neither of those things are going to
1: complete you. Like you are going to complete you. Only those those things can only incomplete you. Yeah. What I mean by that is, if all of a sudden it becomes the object of your discontent, mm-hmm. and, and and the thing that you thought you wanted starts making you miserable, mm-hmm. now you took a complete person. It made them miserable. And another way to say that is you made them incomplete. I've had people... I
2: I remember people coming to our events or live podcasts, and they'll be like, oh, I got rid of everything. And then I realized, like, oh, man, where's that hammer? Where's that... Whatever. Like, you know, I just got rid of everything, not thinking about it. And I realized that minimalism wasn't the answer for me. Thoughts? Right. And it's like, well, you know, just getting rid of everything is not minimalism necessarily right so you know what if i let go of everything to start over and realize that was the wrong decision for me um sarah you know the answer to that right now right uh and if you don't then get clear on what your values are get to the root of why you want to let go of everything and if you go about it deliberately then maybe it is maybe that is the answer for you to go off in an rv for a little bit but but you know just getting rid of everything that's never the answer just to get rid of
1: everything right and there, let me say this i've never gotten rid of anything that i've regretted that i have gotten rid of things that i've needed again uh yeah and there's a diff- i think quite often we 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 have that we mistake it and say okay yeah i got rid of the hammer that to use that example you mm-hmm. used earlier because i wasn't using it or whatever and okay I don't regret that. I simply need a hammer. Right. And if I need something, I'm not going to deprive myself of it. Right. And so we can make the distinction between regretting something. Regretting something means I'm holding on to the past. Mm. Right. Yeah. But if I've let go of the past, then it's not possible for me to regret it. Mm. But moving forward, I can bring things back in if I find out they actually are appropriate for that stage in life.
2: Julie's got a question
1: here, Josh. Let's do it.
2: If we're starting over, what essentials would you guys suggest we keep? I would suggest keeping what is most essential for you.
1: Yeah, it includes
2: a blender.
1: (laughs) Right, a broken um,
2: waffle iron. (laughs) A photo album of your trip to Hawaii.
1: Yes,
2: (laughs) and that's it, really. Oh, man, no, there's...
1: I could say, for mm -hmm. me, if I got rid of everything, what would I yeah this is probably a better way for me to, to look at this question hmm. if i were to get rid of everything <laughs> what things would i know i would want to keep for me mm-hmm. and it might be different for you because you might want to go do the rv thing or whatever Sure. and so for me it's a bed mattress like those things totally make sense for me to have bed sheets uh, i'm not going to get rid of all of my black t-shirts mm-hmm. normally get rid of my black jeans that i'm wearing i have uh, two pairs of black jeans i have you know, a dozen black t-shirts or so. And, and uh, underwear, there there are essentials that are essential sure. to me. Yes. But then I'm also going to ask myself, so Ryan and I have this, what we call the no junk rule. It's in the minimalist rule book. You can download it at theminimalists.com slash rule book. It's a free download. And if you download that, you'll find the no junk rule. Everything you own can fit in one of three piles. Essential, non-essential, junk. Now, I would... Keep anything that is truly essential to me, because I don't want to deprive myself. And then I would temporarily deprive myself of all of those non-essentials yeah. to really determine do they add value to my life. It turns out that bread maker I thought was going to add value. Wait a minute, I don't eat bread. I guess that's not an act. That's not actually a non-essential. That falls into this third pile. It is a piece of junk. And so anything that's in that junk pile, I'm going to get rid of now. The true test is by temporarily depriving myself of these non essentials and maybe even of a few essentials for a short period of time, I can recast these things Mm -hmm. and realize oh, many of the things I told myself, I created this narrative in my head. Mm -hmm. I need this thing in order to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be complete, to be me. I'm clinging to it, but it's actually junk. I'm not getting the value from it. In fact, it's bringing me misery. Mm. And so I'm going to get rid of some of that misery if I let go of the item and also simultaneously let go of the attachment to the item.
2: Yeah. So Julie, you've got to get clear on what's essential, what's non-essential, what is junk. I'll tell you what, I, I started over and got rid of everything and figured out what was essential. You can find that recipe out at theminimalists.com forward slash day one.
1: Yeah, so Ryan right did so, this 21-day journey.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: 21-day packing party. I pretended like I was moving. I had a completely clean slate, mm-hmm. but I still had access to everything. So, I mean, if you really want to have a clean slate, and I don't ever suggest a packing party. Very few people do I suggest a packing party for. Mm-hmm. But that would be a great experiment. If you want to start with absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. then do it. pack up all your stuff and unpack things as you need it. That will quickly help you realize what's important and what's not important,
1: what's essential and what's non-essential. The beautiful thing about that is it's not throwing everything in a dumpster and then hauling it right. off and then regretting all and of it. And
2: then tweeting us later and be like, I threw away everything and now I regret it. Well,
1: we have never told anyone to do that. Right. Yeah. And so you can box up the things and pretend they're gone mm-hmm. and then bring back only the things that serve you. Mm. Alora has a question.
2: Why would you ever get rid of everything you own? Some things are essential like pots and pans, cleaning buckets and rags, towels for showering, blankets, pillows. When we had to live in an 8x2 trailer with two adults, two kids and a dog, we learned exactly what we couldn't live without and what we wanted but couldn't have. Okay. Um yeah, I don't Yeah, Josh, why would you ever get rid of everything you owned?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't. But here's what I will Unless say.
2: Unless you just were like ryan i'm gonna give you 10 million dollars if you throw away everything you own <laughs> even then i wouldn't do it but I'm, i mean i i would do that, that that's yeah. just a math that's a, a mathematical equation sure but there, i mean there is some i, don't, I would have some ethics pro- personally i'd have some ethics problems with that but for all intents and purposes you're right like uh-huh. that's why you would do it i'm gonna whatever you own if you throw it away i'll double the value you can buy it all and bring it back i mean but this is such a hypothetical right
1: yeah well the the thing is i don't own very much and so in fact if i didn't have a wife and a kid i i'm fairly utilitarian and so but even when i became a minimalist i didn't get rid of everything right when people come up to say you guys didn't get rid of anything important Uh uh-huh that's correct yeah 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 although if i or if i did accidentally then i would bring it back in right like why so yes if your question is why would you want to deprive yourself of something essential totally agree with you however I do think these stoical experiments from time to time mm-hmm. have helped me gain a better perspective, a deeper understanding of the lies that I tell myself. Mm. I mean, at one point, Ryan, I had 70 dress shirts. Mm-hmm. That is birthed out of a lie that I told myself. I don't know, man. You never really tried 75. <laughs> it's true. <gasps> <gasps> The key oh, to did. happiness is just five more Brooks Brothers <laughs> dress right. shirts. Right. Oh man. And, and so I had a dozen suits. I had 12 suits. So think about this. I only worked seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And I wore a suit six of those days. And or or five at least. On the weekends I would do the business cash. <laughs> and yet I man, I was uh I was lying to myself, saying, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to make myself better. And by making myself better, I'm improving myself. Mm. In fact, we even isn't that in our constitution a, a more perfect nation? Think about that. Yeah. More perfect, oxymoron.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so because not it can only something can only be maybe the better phrasing is less perfect mm. in the sense that anytime we add something more, it makes us less perfect. Yes. We're covering up the perfection. Mm-hmm. And let's say you go to a, a museum and you see a painting that you perceive as perfect mm-hmm. to you, right? It's mm-hmm. a perfect painting. Mm-hmm. And then someone comes up and they just like start like painting over top of it. Mm-hmm. What would, are you doing? I'm making it more perfect. <laughs> no, you're ruining it. Mm-hmm. But isn't that what we're doing to our lives? We're ruining our lives by pretending things are essential when they're either non-essential or Let's be honest. Most of the things we bring into our life are junk. Patrons, thank you so much for your time, for mm-hmm. sticking with us through this episode. Love to hear what you have to say in the comments. Stay tuned for next week. It's a birthday episode. Yeah,
2: you're leaving out one question that you put in the credits. Oh, man. Yeah.
1: Do we have one more? Who we is do it have from? one more question. We have it from Natasha. Oh, yes. How do you begin again as a minimalist with kids? I did it the easy way. I didn't have kids when I became a minimalist and I got kids afterward.
2: (laughs) And if you do it any other way, you're wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we've determined anything good and bad are a construct, except when it comes to having kids, (laughs) having kids is bad.
2: I almost think that and this, you know, it's always easy to have a perspective of being a parent when I'm not a parent and don't have children, but I would almost find it more appealing to start over with kids Mm. because then I have someone to go through the journey with. I mean, that's, you and I went through the journey together of starting over. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I mean, for me to me, it would enhance the starting over piece of it. Cause I could, I could get the kids involved.
1: In fact, but me, be, me, you and I doing your packing party together enhanced that experience. Yeah. The only thing I'll say is, is like, I, w- I mean, as a parent, you set
2: boundary for your kids, but if your kids don't want to start over, like you want to start over, that's okay. Yes. Like don't, don't force them to start over with something just mm-hmm. because y- you want to start over. Yes. But it's still totally uh, appropriate and, and possible for you to start over by yourself and do this
1: along with your kids without them starting over. That's true. Yeah. And and so, in fact, this is your journey. If someone else's... And even Ryan's journey, when I was participating in it, because he asked me to participate in it, mm-hmm. it was still his journey, and my own journey was my own, and now it looks like it's us, it's team, The Minimalist, and and it is to some extent, Mm -hmm. but there isn't this separate entity called The Minimalist. It's just me, and it's just Ryan, and then we have a a team of like a dozen people who help us do the things that we do, but it's not even a team. It's a bunch of individual contributors who have their own perspective, their their own life, And it's always going to be different. And so understanding that it's going to be different, especially different for young kids than it is for you. And by the way, the cool thing about embracing minimalism with kids is it helps you better understand minim- what minimalism is to you. Mm. And here's why I say that. Try explaining minimalism to a five-year-old. Right. It, you, you have to, because I can explain minimalism all day to a 35-year-old.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I can talk about, well, the way that society has built us up, that we think we desire the things we don't desire. Minimalism is the thing that gets you past the things so you can make room for life's most important things. If I say that to Ella, she doesn't have those concepts in her mind. Right. She starts to now that she's at age eight. But around age four, when I met Ella at age one, uh, when I first met Bex and, and Ella was obviously... There, actually I met Bex because of Ella. Ella was mm-hmm. flirting with me at age one. Try to explain minimalism to a five-year-old. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, you have to get down to the essence. You have mm-hmm. to get down to the truth. Mm-hmm. You have to get past all of the sort of hyperbole or any of the the um, embellishments that I would use to explain it to an adult. Does it play on words? Minimalism is the thing that gets us past the things ella would look at me with pure confusion Mm -hmm. if i said that to her Mm -hmm. but what it did is it helped me find ways to better communicate with her Mm -hmm. and when i did that communication effective communication helps me better understand what's going on within me
2: Mm. patrons
1: y'all are awesome thanks for sticking with us this entire time
2: we uh well, as Josh would say, we don't need you, but we certainly do love having you. Thank you so much for the support. All right, y'all. Love people, use things.
3: The minimalists. <laughs>